You're listening to the Airline Pilot Guy Show. The view from our side of the cockpit door. WAPG. It's the Airline Pilot Guy. Airline Pilot Guy, episode 536. Yeah, he's up in the sky. It's the Airline Pilot Guy. Hello, you're listening to the Airline Pilot Guy Show. The view from our side of the cockpit door. With your host, Captain Jeff, broadcasting live from Studio 1A at former APG headquarters in Roswell, Georgia. Today's show is recorded on the 7th of September, 2022. In today's episode, the pilot of a small plane threatened to ram a Walmart in Mississippi. A Southwest pilot tells passengers to stop eardropping new photos. More news, your feedback, and today's plane tale, Sherman Smoot, a tribute. So get all settled in. Tray tables and seat backs in the upright and locked positions. Electronic devices powered on. I'm Radio Roger, and Flight 536 is ready to push back. Thank you, Radio Roger. Glad to have you back. He is an award-winning TV and radio reporter currently at the number one all-news station in the nation. 10-10 wins in New York City. All right. Uh, you're listening to the Airline Pilot Guy Show. It's an aviation podcast covering the latest in aviation news and answering your great feedback. I'm Captain Jeff, a pilot at a major legacy airline based in Atlanta, Georgia. And joining me today from... In Hartford, Hereford, and Hampshire. His home studio there. Professional photographer, former RAF, RAAF, fighter pilot, retired Airbus A330, A340 captain for Virgin Atlantic Airways. It's Captain Nick. Good evening, Jeff. Lovely to be on the show again. And I've closed the curtains to hide the rain. So, uh, you know, winter's definitely on its way here. Very sad. (laughs) Winter? What about autumn? Well, I, see, I don't know. I think we've jumped a, <laughs> okay. a season. Oh, that's that's <laughs> the gears uh, have slipped. That's unfortunate. <laughs> okay, and also joining us, hey, 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 from his home studio in the air capital, low and slow pilot, old airplane enthusiast, and engineer in the aerospace and defense industry. It's Nick Camacho. Hey guys, glad to be back with you again. Glad you're here with us as well, Nick. And also, last but certainly not least, from a place to stand and a place to grow in her studio in Toronto, Ontario, Canada, retired financier and aviation enthusiast, spreadsheet master, and our producer, Liz Piper. Good day, everyone. Awesome. And we're hoping that Dr. Steph will join us at some point while the show is in progress. But first, let's do some news. See you later, guys. Stand by for news. Hey, let's start off uh, this news segment with uh, some interesting news in northern Mississippi. Uh, this is from one of the local – actually, this is from Good Morning America, GMA. 
to Mississippi and a frightening scene in the air there where police say a man stole an airplane and threatened to crash it into a Walmart. This morning, that suspect is in custody. ABC's Faith Abube is here with more terrifying story, Faith. It really is. Good morning to you, Janae. Authorities say they don't believe the suspect is a licensed pilot. He worked at the Tupelo Regional Airport fueling aircraft, and that is how he allegedly got access to the plane at a time when that airport was closed. This morning, the man who allegedly set off an emergency scramble in Mississippi with a stolen plane is behind bars. 29-year-old Corey Patterson facing criminal charges after police say he snatched the twin-engine plane and then threatened to intentionally crash it into a Walmart. Investigators say Patterson called 911 shortly after sneaking onto the plane around 5 a.m. Saturday. He made an approach coming out of the north. He was probably 100 feet off the runway before he pulled up. Police evacuating the Walmart, declaring the area surrounding Tupelo a danger zone, telling community members to avoid the area while negotiators tried to convince the 29-year-old to safely land the plane. But online, flight tracking site FlyRadar24 showing the plane crisscrossing the skies over Mississippi for hours. This is a five-ton airplane, fully loaded, 600 pounds of gas, which is the equivalent of a napalm bomb. It would have done terrible damage if he had followed through on his threat. The suspect even apparently leaving a goodbye message on his Facebook page saying, quote, Sorry, everyone. Never actually wanted to hurt anyone. We know he was getting close to running out of fuel. The pilot did not have experience to land an aircraft. Police negotiators attempted to convince Patterson to land the plane with the help from a private pilot. Upon final approach, the pilot aborted the landing. Minutes later, the pilot confirmed he had landed safely in a field and was uninjured. And Patterson has been charged with grand larceny and making terroristic threats. But investigators say after the initial threat, Patterson did not want to hurt himself or anyone else. Meantime, Walmart tells ABC News it is grateful the situation ended without incident and everyone involved is safe. Eva. Really a miracle that no one was hurt in that situation. Thanks, Faith. And Walmart is uh, thankful that uh, he instead crashed at a Target. Story. <laughs> um, he hit the target. Um, uh, why Walmart? Do we know? Why? No, I don't know. Um, we're not sure. Is it their prices or something? I don't I don't They're just not low enough. <laughs> yeah. Or perha- perhaps he was Roll upset with their now. outsourcing of, uh, you know, like mo- most of their items come from China, and he was concerned oh, about yeah. the global, um, you know, uh, oh. exchange of uh, goods and services. Yeah, globalization. Well be. I-, I don't know. Um, maybe he knew somebody that worked there, and he was kind of upset with them. Yes. Yeah, so uh, anyway. Um, I thought one of the interesting little tidbits of information that I did not know about until I watched this particular clip from Good Morning America, ABC News, was that um, he had just shortly before he put it down in that field, and a lot of the reports said cornfield, but I think it's a soybean field, actually. He um, actually was in contact with a um, instructor pilot, and he was trying to land at a field, I mean, an airport, a small airport nearby called Riley field or Riley something or other. And, um, and then he got down to about a hundred feet and just kind of said, Nope, this is not going to work and went around. And then he just put it down in that, uh, in that field. You can always go around. So you can always go around. That is so true, Liz. You can always go around. And that's actually what he did. 
in that. Even if you've stolen it, you can still go around. Yeah. Um, knows his motivation. Too many self-checkouts and no more cashiers. That might have been why he was so upset with Walmart. You're right, Gina. Uh, but we're not sure, actually. Um, I happen to have been, I think it was just a Saturday morning uh, when all this happened. And I was actually up really early that morning and I was doing some work on the computer and I noticed like a, some kind of a tweet about this guy threatening to crash into a Walmart. And I thought, huh. And so I actually, when they got to the point where they identified this person, um, and the fact that he was uh, making some posts on on uh, Facebook, I thought, oh, let me check that out. And so I went there, and I was watching in real time, live, people communicating with him, sending, a, making posts on Facebook, and I, I saw that one little uh, Facebook post that they put on that news article where he said, you know, I didn't, I'm, I'm not trying, I didn't want to hurt anybody. And so it certainly looked at that point like it was going to be one of those things where he's going to ended all by crashing into a public place and killing a bunch of people. Um, anyway, I just thought it was kind of interesting to be kind of there while this was all happening. And at, the point, at that point, the, he was still flying around. So I thought it was kind of interesting. So what do you think? Yeah, uh, an, another stolen airplane. Um, it's amazing how many times this happened uh, in history. So... Uh, yeah. Especially um, here in the in the cowboy country. Yeehaw! <laughs> yeah, very true. Very true. Well, there are a lot of cowboys out there. Yeah. Um, so yeah, well, uh, you know, the lovely thing is that uh, he survived, which is great, and uh, he didn't hurt anyone um, while he was doing it. Uh, I have to say, you know, if I was going to do something like that, I'd make sure that my knitting. Um, looked a bit tidier because I must admit, when you look at his track on flight radar or whatever app that was, it's a bit of a mess, <laughs> isn't it? Yeah. I'll try and make it look a bit neater myself. But there you go. Yeah, it was kind of erratic and uh, you know, going all over the place. And he flew for somewhere between four and five hours, I believe, before. Wow, he... really? That long? Golly. Yeah, the, uh, Liz is saying it's a pretty high-powered plane, the the uh, King Air C90. It's a turboprop, twin turboprop airplane. And uh, I thought, you know, he did a pretty darn good job of flying for some supposedly not being a trained pilot. So I think that... Well, he may not have had a qualification, but he obviously had, uh, you know, some knowledge had. of flying because he was doing low-level, uh, steep turns. Mm -hmm. uh, looked very impressive, very get an under control. from the regionals so. any minute. Yeah. Although I uh, I don't think so, Liz. <laughs> I do uh, have to say that the guy that stole the um, uh, what was it the uh, uh, the Q four hundred up the Q four hundred yeah out in yeah. Uh, Seattle Tacoma uh, he he did, he put on a much better show. Of course, the outcome was not as as good. I mean, he basically destroyed the airplane and himself. Uh, but um, in this case, uh, Liz was asking. Uh, it looked like that. The damage was not too severe to this um, King Air, uh, and that they'll be able to use the airplane again. Now, at some point in the um, in the video, I'm going to see if I can try to find exactly where it is. It shows the little path of um, here. It is the tracks of his tears. So you can see um, how he came down. You see all three, uh, ruts for the, each of the, the, the main and the left and I mean the left and right main and the nose. Then it looks like it hit like a, like a ditch area, um, 
you know, like a definite depression in the field. And then I think at some point it looks like it kind of started sliding sideways because it came to a stop kind of 90 degrees to the left of the I reckon uh, he knocked his gear off on that ditch because yep. I can see a well, yeah, you can see, yeah, you can see the gear there side. and then he just slid it along on his belly actually yep. it looks like maybe both of them are on the left side there yeah <laughs> anyway so uh yeah it worked it, I mean it wasn't ideal but it it worked out. He didn't kill himself. He didn't destroy the airplane. He didn't kill any kill or hurt anybody, anybody else. else. So now he's just got to work out, um, you know, a few details about how he's going to pay everybody back and pay his uh, debt to society. Legal fees. Yeah. 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 So, uh, who owned it? Do we know? Uh, a doctor um, in the Tupelo area. Oh, those yeah, doctors, they get doctor. paid too much. Yeah. Nice so, airplane. Yeah. I'm always surprised that guys like this can get the airplane started. You know, like mm-hmm. I, uh, this guy I think was a student pilot, but surely only had experience in small piston airplanes. Uh, you know, uh, I guess if I got in that airplane, I could maybe figure out how to get it started, but I don't think um, I could. <laughs> I, yeah. I'm not like, I think it'd be a 50 fit, even with all the time in the world and a checklist, I think it's a 50 50 shot, whether I, uh, hot started an engine or mm-hmm. got it running. And so it always, with the Q400 and with this one, it surprises me that these uh, inexperienced people are able to just hop in the airplane and get it running, let alone fly it around. Fly, flying it around is not a huge deal. It flies like any other airplane. It's just starting it. It always surprises me. Yep. Yeah. People ask me, well, can you fly that uh, Boeing 717 by yourself? And I thought, no, I don't know how to start it. The first officer does that. <laughs> I'm just kidding, of course, as far as you know. Okay. Moving on. Moving on. Liz Liz is always trying to keep me out of trouble. Hey, look, I only have a little over a year possibly to go before I retire. So I'm uh, I'm kind of on thin ice right now. So I got to be careful. All right. uh, Let's continue with the second item in our news segment. Float plane crashes in Puget Sound. Uh, one dead and nine missing. I don't know what the latest is on this, but I think pretty much they've decided they've that. Found anyone else? Yeah. yeah the, the the thing um, kind of was flying along and just kind of took a nosedive. Just a sudden. There was no radio call of distress, and um, the uh, airplane pretty much went straight down in the Puget Sound and uh, hit the water. And I think uh, they're only finding finding small pieces of the. Uh, of the aircraft left. So I'm sure that everybody's assuming that everybody uh, perished. Uh, again, one pilot and uh, nine passengers. Um, uh, it was a, um, in the San Juan Islands, a uh, popular tourist destination uh, near Renton, Washington. Previously, the Coast Guard had said the plane was flying to Seattle-Tacoma International. I guess it was going to Renton, not... Uh, Seattle-Tacoma Airport. Uh, Mutiny Bay is where it happened, off of Woodby Island, about 40 miles to the northwest of Seattle. Um, let's see. So um, do I have any other information here? We have. I pulled up some information from the Aviation Safety Network about the actual airplane itself. I believe, uh, Liz, you already threw that up there. The uh, It's a I beautiful did. airplane, a twin otter. It's, it's too bad that... Um, a twin Stuff. otter or a turbine a, otter? Yeah, single otter. Oh, I'm sorry. You're right. Uh, it's not twin. It's a turbine. So is that a sotter if it's a single oh, otter? Hmm. Or a tutor? 
Could be a solder. Yeah. I don't know if they call it that or not. Yeah, I'm sorry. Let me see. It's a float-equipped de Havilland Canada DHC-3T turbine otter. November 725 uh, Tango Hotel. The registration. And, of course, it's 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 over for that airplane. Uh, one, oh, and, and, sadly, the and 10 was, occupants. Yeah. It's full um, load, I suspect. The uh, Very sad. yeah, I think that um, uh, I was watching one of the aviation YouTube channels, and they were talking about the fact that there are that they have had some incidents in the past with uh, this particular model of airplane with the elevator and elevator servos and trim tabs and that kind of thing uh, failing or giving up. And well, it's it, made in Canada. So seem, oh yeah, you're right, Liz. It is made in Canada. That might be a, a clue. As to why it, uh, yeah, anyway. Fails. But, uh, yeah, who knows at this point. Uh, they're going to be, you know, trying to find big enough pieces of the wreckage to determine what exactly happened and why it just suddenly. Tim Van Ram has a good comment here. Tim Van Ram said it. Glad it wasn't a nice beaver. Yeah, no kidding. It would be a shame to. Nice yeah. otter instead. Yeah, it's an otter instead. Yeah. Anyway. So, uh, I don't know, Nick Camacho, do you have any experience with uh, the uh, de Havilland brand of uh, airplanes? Uh, no, ju- just, uh, let's see, when I was growing up, the museum that we were part of had a uh, beaver, mm-hmm. an original beaver, but that was much different than this. It was right, it was smaller and it had the 985, the radial engine on it. So, I do not have a ton of experience with floats or the turbine-powered de Havilland airplanes. Mm-hmm. So the uh, the airplane that you were talking about, Nick Camacho, was it a... Nice beaver. <laughs> Just wondering. Anyway. It was. Yeah, it was a bad. very nice one. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, we're treading on even thinner ice at this point. So let's move on. I should be throwing the cover art up, but I won't go there yet. Thank you. Yeah, please don't. Uh, item C in the new segment, uh, there's an accident here, a, uh, TAP A320-200 registration, Charlie Sierra Tango Victor India performing flight 1492 from Lisbon, Portugal to, um, I don't know. Conakry. 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 Conakry, Guinea, uh, landed on Conakry's runway 24 at 2830 local or 23, 2830, <laughs> a different well. time there, 2330, uh, which is, um, 11, 2330 Z. However, the right hand engine, which was a leap engine, one of the new, um, I think that's a geared turbofan, uh, turbine, um, collided with a motorbike occupied by two persons that crossed the runway at that moment. The aircraft rolled out with, uh, without further incident. Both occupants of the motorbike died, however. The Civil Aviation Authority of Guinea opened an investigation into the accident. The airport reported the aircraft hit two individuals riding on a motorbike on the runway. The driver was identified as a security agent responsible to protect airport facilities. The airline expressed their condolences to the families involved. All passengers and crew aboard the aircraft remain uninjured. The aircraft is still on the ground in Conakry about 16 hours after landing. The return flight 1493 was canceled. The right-hand engine and the motorbike, I think Liz was putting up some of those photos. It's uh, uh, kind of graphic. Um, mm-hmm. 
the uh, uh, here's as, the motorbike. That's yeah, the motorbike. Um, uh, yeah, and, oh, yeah. T- and two people on it, and they're not sure exactly why the motorcycle and two human beings on top of it were happened to be on that part of the runway at that moment when a when an Airbus three twenty was landing. Not uh, not very smart. No, absolutely not. But, um, you know, I've had my own experience of people coming onto the runway during a takeoff, uh, in my case, not a landing. But, uh, you know, you do wonder why on earth someone would try and venture close to a, a runway. I mean, it's not as if you can't see an aircraft coming in with all its lights on, etc. And uh, you should be able to hear it even over the, the sound of a motorcycle. So um, I don't know whether they're playing chicken mm-hmm. or uh, they were just uh, unaware of its uh, arrival. Um, no idea. Wonder if they were just doing like a thrill-seeking kind of a thing, and they just assumed that this airplane would come in at a certain height uh, compared to maybe some of the heights that they had seen other aircraft, and it was just a miscalculation, and maybe this particular flight path path was a little bit lower than yeah. your normal flight could, path could could be that jeff uh, you know uh, lots of scenarios i guess but uh fact is uh, they misjudged uh, their <laughs> their attempt to sure have fun if that's what it was appallingly uh gonna take uh, quite a bit of fixing it's gonna need uh, a new engine obviously but also a new uh entire pod and probably the pylon as well i guess but mm-hmm. uh, so it's going to be a, on the ground there for a while while uh, airbus sort that out yep for sure well it's, it's sad um anytime oh, very life is lost on earth they were thinking i have no idea and i'm sure that the pilots just feel horrible about it um oh, even yeah. though i don't think that they had anything to do with it um but no. yeah well um, this is an interesting news item, uh, D. Uh, two Air France pilots are suspended after a cockpit fist fight. This is from BBC News. A brawl broke out in the cockpit between two pilots. Two Air France pilots have been suspended after a physical altercation in the cockpit, reports say. What would you say, Liz? Sacre bleu? Sacre bleu. Bleu. Uh, the pilot and co-pilot exchanged blows, uh, and you know, like you know, with their fists, um, as they flew an Airbus A320 from Geneva to Paris in June. Swiss news outlet La Tribune said, members of the cabin crew intervened after hearing the noise. One crew member stayed in the cockpit until the flight landed safely. The incident did not affect the flight, the airline told La Tribune. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. The incident comes after a report published by France's air investigation body on Tuesday said that the airline had a culture which lacked rigor when it came to safety procedures. And uh, this item here in uh, the USA Today dot com, and they talk again about this incident and uh, that uh, French investigators are calling for tougher safety protocols. Um, doesn't really say exactly what. Ex- was the issue why they were fighting remember it wasn't that long ago that we were talking about another uh, what uh airline was it was it uh frontier or spirit or south alaska, alaska? alaska was it alaska Where yeah the i don't guy know. walked off yeah we had the video of the guy walking off the aircraft after they i guess had were taxiing out and then they returned to the gate 
And uh, I think it there's... was an argument, but was opposing bases better or yeah, APG Alaska. better? Oh, oh. it was also an Air India situation, wasn't there, where they had a dreadful argument. It might have been between husband, husband and wife. And wife. Yeah. That's right. That was Air Both India. Pilots, yeah. Yes. The two pilots. Yeah. And they took their fight out into the galley, leaving no right. nobody oh, yeah. left on the flight. <laughs> it's on automatic pilot. <laughs> Nothing could go wrong. <laughs> oh, my God. You know, I think in this case, they were reenacting uh, John Wayne's scene from uh, The High and the Mighty. Uh, oh. You know, where he slapped the captain for being mm -hmm. a coward, called him yeller. Oh, yeah. I do remember that. Yeah. yeah. That. So I Could think be. that was probably what was going on. Could be. Now, Liz is saying yeah. that she heard that there was a, um, a preliminary report regarding the Alaska uh, altercation. And the, the argument was about uh, one of the – I think the captain was saying that Opposing Bases is a better aviation podcast. And the co-pilot <laughs> said, no, no, it's well, airline pilot number guy. Number one in the world or something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I don't think it had anything to do with aviation podcasts, actually. Probably not. Uh, yeah, this is no good. You have to get along. And I, I can't, in all my experience of flying so far, and it's been a long time, because look at me, I'm old. Uh, I'm, and I'm sure Nick can say the same thing. Have you ever gotten to a to the point at which violence happened inside of your good flight God deck no. uh, cockpit? Area? I mean, come on. <laughs> no, I've, I've heard of People in the military landing uh, and being so upset with the pilot of another aircraft that they've got into fisticuffs on the ground. Sure. But I've never heard of it happening in the air. Yeah. So, uh, no. I mean, you, you, yeah. It goes without saying that, um, you know, you just look after uh, the aircraft and your passengers because that is your duty. You bottle it until you mm -hmm. get on the ground. And when, if you feel that strongly about it, once you've shut everything down, you shut the cockpit door and have a go at each other. But, you know, don't do it in the air, fans. It's called airmanship and, you know, professionalism. Uh, you know, well, yeah. Self-control. Self-control. So, sadly, yeah. it brings Air France, which I always had, you know, a, a lot of respect for. You know, it brings their level of professionalism back down, in my opinion, again, mm -hmm. because they've had a, a reasonable number of um, quite poor um, reports of uh, the culture within the company. Mm -hmm. And it does worry me when, uh, you know, this sort of thing fair. Yes, I agree. Okay. This next one is wild. This next one is as Liz says, wild, uh, item E, an incident, uh, an Uni Air Avion de Transport Regional, ATR 72-212 Alpha, registration Bravo 17010, performing flight 9091 from Taipei, Songshan, to Nangan, Taiwan, with 70 passengers and four crew, departed Songshan's runway 10, climbed to flight level 100, was on short final to Nangan's uh, runway 21 about 40 minutes after departure when both right main tires were damaged. The crew climbed the aircraft back to flight level 070, approximately 7,000 feet, returned to Taipei Songshan, performed a low approach to Songshan's runway 10 about 80 minutes after departure, and landed safely back on runway 10 about 100 minutes after departure. Taiwan's TTSB reported on May 10th, 2021, 
at 9.27 in the morning, Taipei time. Uh, this flight, an ATR 72-600. Uh, let's see. The right landing gear of the aircraft was broken during landing at RCFG. The aircraft uh, did a go-around and returned back to the RCSS airport. The aircraft landed at RCSS airport at 11.10 hours. The right landing gear of the aircraft was damaged, and I can see why. There is a wall that we have a picture of that uh, shows the right main landing gear tire marks, and in fact, um, two sizable chunks uh, missing from this very solid-looking wall. Uh, I'm thinking that was a another very, very close call. I mean, if it had been just slightly lower, we would have been talking about a crash, I believe. Or at least a oh, missing yeah, right main landing gear. I don't know. Yeah. Crazy. Um, let's see. The main wheels and tail skid hit the top of the outer edge. Yeah, I can see a little mark a little bit to the left of the image that we're uh, displaying right now in the video. That must be the tail skid where it hit. Um, yeah, the conditions, weather conditions at the time, weren't adverse as far as I can see. It was... Uh, oh, in italics at the bottom, that yeah. indicates there was low cloud of sea fog before the runway oh, threshold. okay. Well, that could uh, be a problem. Oh, it looks like um, we have some photos that I should have included in our slides here that I'm now seeing. I don't know why I didn't put them in there. Sorry. But hey, if you look at the show notes, folks, uh, you'll see the uh, uh, pictures of an airplane, uh, this airplane post. coming in with the right main pretty much uh, all mangled up. Uh, the wheels are gone. <laughs> and uh, not a lot remaining on that, and uh, the, the landing at the uh, at the Taiwan airport. Uh, yeah, it, it, I, the uh, report here said in the final stages, the pilot used the autopilot left and right navigation and vertical modes to approach. Now, um, <laughs> you and I would both go, "What's in the final stages of the approach? What's he got the autopilot in for?" But uh, perhaps he was still in cloud. Um, but he did not really – he said he lost awareness because Oops. he was focused on messing about with the autopilot, he, they call it, on the relevant operations in the cockpit. Well, I call it twiddling the knobs. Uh, he lost his awareness of the aircraft's position and did not realize that the aircraft altitude was very close to the runway threshold. When the aircraft entered low clouds and the pilot was unable to main, maintain visual uh, contact with the runway, he did not immediately perform a go-around, unlike the bloke at, with, who'd stole the King Air, who did, made a better fist of it, if you yeah. ask me. And he wasn't even a rated <laughs> pilot. <laughs> exactly. Uh, and continue to use the autopilot to continue to approach the field. I'm going, what was he doing? Anyway, the monitoring pilot did not remind or call for a go-around, so who was supposed to be shouting minimums, whether it was the aircraft or the pilot monitoring? I don't know, but that obviously wasn't done. And it, this is bit confuses me next. The aircraft was at an altitude of 229 feet, but only 11 feet above the threshold of the runway. Um, they called that a seawall. So I'm assuming the airfield was pretty close to sea level, but apparently not. Apparently uh, it was uh, over 200 feet, but they're only 11 feet above the threshold. Um, 
Yeah, that doesn't when he decided sense. to go around because the height was too low, but he left it too late, and the main wheels and tail skid hit the wall. Hmm. Um, so I, I'm just not impressed with their, their techniques, and uh, also their you know there's a significant lack of awareness, uh, their situational awareness from both pilots, but the sounds of it, all of it, wearing quite honestly. Yes, the uh, published elevation for that. Airport is 232 feet. Okay. Okay. Well, I don't know quite why they call it a seawall then, because uh, the sea must have been a couple hundred feet below. S-E-E-W-A-L. No, he didn't see the wall. (laughs) (laughs) No seawall. Oh, possible show title. No (laughs) seawall. Did you see the wall? No. No seawall. That's that's very good. That's (laughs) almost in Chinese, too. I know. Yeah. I wonder if that... I mean, surely that didn't have an effect on the pilots, but I just can't imagine being 11 feet off the ground. I would, I'm one, I would wonder if they were kind of thinking along the lines you guys were thinking, we're 200 feet over the ground, over the water, mm-hmm. um, rather than only having 11 feet until an impact point. 11 yeah. feet without even being over the runway. It's just insane to me. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Yeah, a lot of... A lot of troubling data, data, on uh, in this narrative here. What happened? I'd I'd love to do a show title with the Wall of China with a couple of uh, <laughs> bricks missing. <laughs> okay, well there you go. Oh, no sea wall. No sea wall. I no sea wall. Okay. APG um, banned in that. China. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think we're probably already banned in China, Liz. <laughs> especially after stories like this next one um yeah um a this was sent in uh from a couple of our listeners uh glenn in kalangadu south australia how'd i do there kalangadu and uh, kalangadu kalangadu that's the one (laughs) put some shrimp on the barbie and uh, <laughs> Rob, that and, was awful. Uh, <laughs> Wait a minute. I, let's see if I can find my uh, shrimp on. Oh, I can't. I, it's going to take too long for me to do Put it. Another shrimp on the Barbie. Yeah, the uh, the the one from uh, Dumb and Dumber. Um, <laughs> Jim Carrey does a really bad impression. Good day, mate. <laughs> let's put another shrimp on the Barbie. Um. Anyway. And uh, Robert in uh, Tucker, Georgia. And uh, this is the story from um, NBCNews.com. A Southwest airline pilot asks passengers to stop airdropping nudes to his iPad. Uh, There's a video of a Southwest Airlines pilot saying he will pull back the airplane and return to the gate if passengers do not stop sending nude photos over airdrop. That's uh, a video has gone viral on uh, TikTok. The incident occurred before takeoff to Cabo San San Lucas, uh, Mexico, according to the TikTok video that captured the bizarre moment. And uh, guess what? I have that TikTok video. You want to watch it? Let's listen to the uh, frustrated captain. Not the nudes video. No, there's no. That's a pilot video. That's a totally different show, Nick. So here's the deal. This continues while we're on the ground. I'm gonna have to pull back to the gate. Everybody's gonna have to get off. We're gonna have to get security involved. And it's 
vacation that's going to be ruined. So you folks, whatever that airdrop thing is, quit sending naked pictures. Let's get yourself to Cabo. Whatever that airdrop thing is, stop oh, doing it. Nice to hear a pilot who's got a real grip on technology. Well, so, Nick, one of the reasons why we exist is to help out <laughs> pilots such as this guy that apparently doesn't understand airdrop. So, uh, yeah. Liz, go ahead and put up the first. There we go. Uh, in the settings on your uh, iPad <laughs> EFB, uh, you can hit the uh, general, and then over there to the right, you see airdrop. I've circled it for you, sir. And then the next slide. Once you do that, then it says uh, receiving off. Make sure that's checked. And that way, nobody can send you nude pictures via airdrop to your iPad. Excellent. You're welcome. You are welcome. That's a PSA from the APG. Okay. Now, wh why would he not want to receive? I suppose there might be pictures of uh, that, that he doesn't approve of. I well, maybe, maybe these... Uh, I'm assuming ladies, but it could have been men. Um, we're not a, a very attractive, or at least not attractive to him. And uh, you see, if, if I knew that got under his nose, and I was a grumpy first officer, I'd spend the entire flight airdropping <laughs> dubious <laughs> pictures <laughs> to his EFB. Uh, that would be hilarious. Watch him get wound and wound up. Now that yeah. would, until you end up in a fist fight. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh man. That really would be uh, Maybe that's I was why just those guys had the fisticuffs. Maybe there was some air <laughs> dropping going. I don't know. Go ahead, Nick. I was just going to say, can you imagine being someone from who hasn't, like, just waking up from a 15-year-old na nap, and there's this article that talks about airdrop, TikTok, has Twitter handles in it, and sending <laughs> nudes. <laughs> And you'd yeah. just be like, what, what is going is, on? What does that all mean? Well, <laughs> makes Van no Ram's sense. Comment. Well, Tim yeah. Van Ram says airdrop used to mean dropping relief supplies from a plane. Yeah. Yeah. Or Apparently, Southwest people. take airdropping nudes very seriously. Or at least this, <laughs> the Southwest pilot does. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that, that was an interesting one. <laughs> Oh, I haul boxes. Pilot was tired of seeing stick. <laughs> okay. Well, all right. Let's move on, shall we? Uh, it's all now right. time to try to save on. ourselves and uh, do this. Time to get to know us. About us. Getting to like us. Getting to hope you like us, too. Glad Steph's not here yet. She can't make fun of my altered lyrics. <laughs> but, you know, I haven't heard her sing this thing yet, so I'm just saying. Anyway, uh, getting to know a segment, that's where well, we kind of get caught up. you know why you haven't, up. because of this. Well, yeah, uh, Liz is saying that the reason why is because uh, and he's, she's putting up the graphic. Excuse me, ma'am, please don't sing. So it's uh, that time of the show where we get all caught up with what we've been doing between shows. And uh, why, why don't I volunteer to start? And uh, yes, um, I had a meetup with one of our APG community uh, contributors and listeners. And um, many of us met Tim Qualls. Uh, he, you know, he sends in feedback every now and then. Uh, but we met him in person in IRL, I think they call it, in real life. IRL, yeah. Back in 2019 in at Oshkosh at the seaplane um, 
facility or base or whatever they call it on uh, Lake Winnebago. And um, anywho, he contacted me a few weeks ago and said that he was going to be, he lives in uh, Arkansas near the Hot Springs area. Arkansas, yeah, just so that uh, Nick uh, Captain oh, no, Nick no knows what I'm talking. Yeah, yep. uh, and he was heading to South Carolina. Uh, wait, hang on. Uh, South. South uh, to watch a NASCAR race uh, in Darlington, South Carolina, and he said, "I'm going to be going right through Atlanta, and uh, was wondering if you might be available for a quick meetup while I'm making my way through town." And I said, "Well, if I'm not flying, yeah, absolutely." And it turns out that. It was the Friday of the uh, of the start of the Labor Day weekend here in the United States, and uh, he, he was. I think he met up with uh, Dana um, for brunch near where Dana lives, and then uh, he took uh, took in uh, the Holocaust Museum and a couple of other um, things over there in that part of town, and then he headed this way. And I said, what are you in the mood for? And I said, uh, I, the couple of places that I thought of was either seafood or barbecue. And he said, mm, barbecue, love barbecue. And I went, okay, let's do this. Let's go to uh, the Spiced Right Rib Shack in uh, Roswell. And so that's where we met. And we, of course, I forgot to take a photo of the two of us. Sorry, Liz. But I did remember to do this. Hey there. Uh, another... APG meetup, uh, we are, we, and I'll tell you who we is, well, of course, one of those we is me, uh, Jeff. You know, by now you probably recognize my voice. Um, in Roswell, uh, longtime listener to the show, Tim Calls. I met Tim back in 2019 at Oshkosh, and I, I do remember most specifically at Oshkosh, we were at the seaplane base. And uh, we had a, a nice discussion there. Uh, great to meet him back then. And uh, since then, we've been keeping in touch. Obviously, uh, this little show thing had something to do with that. And uh, anyway, he lives in the Arkansas area around uh, Hot Springs mm -hmm. area. And uh, he contacted me, I don't know, a few weeks ago and said that he was going to be going to the uh, NASCAR race, Darlington. In you know, I always forget that I talk about this in my audio that I've recorded so when I'm setting this whole thing up, I'm thinking, you idiot, you've already talked yeah. about this. Oh, well, let's continue. South Carolina, and he was coming through Atlanta and was wondering if, um, if I might be available to join up with him for lunch or dinner or something like that. And so he contacted me earlier today and said, hey, I'm here. Um, you know, you, are you available? And I said, yeah, let's, uh, let's get together somewhere. So we ended up coming to this place called uh, Spiced Right rib house in roswell really really good uh, barbecue and uh so i pointed him here told him to punch it in his uh, gps thing and uh make his way over here and so uh we uh met up and uh, just finished a he a wonderful meal he he did the ribs and i did the um, the brisket and it was just wonderful anyway so we're uh, gonna just let tim he doesn't want to do this but i'm forcing him to do this He's going to say a quick hello to everybody, and then uh, we'll we'll finish it. And uh, he'll be on his way to Darlington, South Carolina. So say hello, Tim. Hello, Tim. All right, that's it. Okay, back to you in the st No, wait. You're, that's not going to be it, Tim. you got to say a little bit more. I'm just passing through, and I wanted to have a chance to meet up with Jeff and Matt with Dana this morning. 
and uh, it's been a great time. A lot of fun. He's still in my french fries, though. Hold on. <laughs> <laughs> I'm assuming that you're not uh, going to have any more of these. So yeah, no, I'm done. while he's busy talking <laughs> to you all, I'm uh, stealing some of his french fries. Okay, so here's back to Tim. Well, I've not got much else to say. I'm more of a consumer than a than a, a contributor to the show, but but I do enjoy it, and it's always good to hear it every week and to hear everybody else's feedback each week. I enjoy that. All right, say goodbye to everybody. Goodbye. All right, there you go. Man, a few words. Uh, you know, when we're eating here, he's, he has a lot more words. But uh, as soon as I started the recorder, he just uh, he just shut up. Anyway, so uh, that's going to be it then. Back to you in the studio. Microphone shy. So is that a Kalakian accent? That's an Arkansan accent. Ah, right. Arkansas. Okay, mm-hmm. right. That's what... An Arkansian, then. I yes. don't know if I mentioned this, but he's from Arkansas. Oh, that, that and then place, he w- too. And he okay. was driving through Atlanta on the way to a NASCAR race in Darlington. <laughs> Not- yeah, I just wanted to know if that was the accent, because that's quite a, a distinct accent. <laughs> it is. It is. But uh, the re- I'm kind of poking fun at myself, because I keep doing this every darn time I've recorded video. I, I basically say everything that I say in the, in the recording <laughs> before I play the recording. And then I realize when I'm playing the recording, you dummy. Anyway, I, you know, you'd think by now that I would have learned. Can you cut you'd that out? How many years? Yeah, I can cut that out in post. But you know what, Liz? I'm not going to. I'm not going to okay. cut it out. I'm just going to leave all this ugh, dirty laundry. In uh, yeah. yeah, in the just, so he just, says he says just, that now to make himself. No, feel I good. will. I guarantee and it. And then we'll all forget. And I will not. <laughs> no. Nope. Who's this Nick Camacho guy? Where did that he was come great from? Audio from Tim, though. <laughs> Thank you, Liz. Okay, um, Captain Nick, are you? Oh yes, wait, sir. no, be, no. Actually, before I go to you, uh, we're going to go to Radio Roger. Yes. Okay, Radio Roger. Oh, he's not here, but, but he did. Send us some email uh, when he sent in his intro uh, voiceover stuff. Well, they may have noticed he was missing. Yeah, you may have noticed that last week um, there was no Radio Roger, and uh, I I missed him uh, very much uh, because I had to do the show open and the announcement that uh, Radio Roger normally does. And, um, you know, of course, I didn't do it as well as Radio Roger does, but I, I tried. I've learned a lot from him. Anyway... He was in Israel, and that's why he couldn't do the uh, the voiceover. And uh, he said, in when he was sending in today's or this show's uh, intro, he said, "I don't know how you feel about mentioning me this week and getting to know you because I'm not a host." Well, you know what? I feel pretty strongly. I don't want to even talk about it. So let's move <laughs> on. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, However, if you're okay with it, please tell the community I was away for a family wedding at the most beautiful wedding spot I've ever seen, a hill overlooking the old city of Jerusalem. Uh, Gail and I have never been to Israel, so we took extra time sightseeing, including the West Bank Desert with the Dead Sea, the vibrant city of Tel Aviv, and ancient ruins along the Mediterranean coast. It's definitely a trip worth making. Wow, that sounds awesome. So thank you, Roger, for letting us know why. I mean, I don't know. Sounds kind of like a pretty lame excuse to me for not doing the intro for our show last week. But okay, we'll let it slide this time. Okay. Uh, Let's um, now move on to our 
favorite co-host, Captain Nick. <laughs> okay, really? just kidding. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Liz just thinks really? Steph gets here. <laughs> well, Steph's not here. Yeah. And uh, Rick's not here. Nick Camacho is, but he's the new guy. He's the rookie. And so he's probably just going to sit there he's and just probation. say nothing. Well, I, that's <laughs> what I'm going to do. But what I am going to say is uh, the last week saw a couple of birthdays. So I think it's quite fair we should mention David David Abbey's 52nd birthday. Mm, yeah, so right. Happy birthday, David. Happy birthday uh, to you. Yeah, he used to be a regular uh, meetup for us uh, when I did a New York trip because uh, he could get out to uh, our hotel in Long Island fairly easily, and uh, we also used to meet up uh, in Manhattan. So it was always good fun to have a few beers with David. So I hope Mm -hmm. you had a good birthday. And I think it was, wasn't it Colonel Colonel Jeff's birthday? Yes, I think on the 5th. Yeah, Yeah. so happy birthday, Colonel Jeff. Yeah, happy birthday. Oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. There is another birthday sometime in early September that I... I can't remember whose it is. Never mind. Keep going. Yeah, no, nobody important. Okay, that's, that's it. That's all I've got to say. No, wait a minute. Because, no, it's, uh, it's yours. You know it. What? September nah, 9th, two days from yeah, now. But that's next week. That's, well, September 9th. By the time you're listening to this, it's already passed. <laughs> next week, we'll hear about all the festivities. Yeah, but we're going to hear Fair about enough. all the festivities Fair next enough. week. Uh, so do you have anything uh, big plans for the birthday, uh, sir? Uh, no. No? No. Okay. That's no. it. All right. That's it. Because okay. uh, it's only I'm what, 68. That's no big deal. 68. That's yeah. so young. Exactly. Yeah, so not is. a lot has happened. Uh, uh, so uh, you can move on. All right. We'll do that then. Let's go to Nick Camacho, man. Uh, yeah. Not uh, not a ton on my end. Uh, working all week. I uh, did get a chance to go out and spend some uh Contemplative time at the airport on Saturday, sitting in my airplane, uh, poking through every single menu on every single uh, piece of avionics I put in my airplane, trying to figure out why. Basically, the last thing that I had, um, the last kind of outstanding squawk I had after all of my avionics installs was that my transponder was not um, being provided with GPS uh, signals for the ADSB. So it wouldn't put out ADSB signals, basically. And I had talked to the folks who helped me uh, set up all the avionics and wiring and everything, and we had gone through it a couple times on the phone. Couldn't figure it out, and so I was sitting there for a couple hours on Saturday and eventually found a, one tiny little area where I had, uh, since the uh, transponder had been previously installed, it had been using its internal GPS chip to generate the GPS signal that it used. And when we rewired it, we are now pulling a GPS signal from one of the new boxes we put in. Uh, there's a little setting to change that, which we had missed. Oh, here it so, is. Right there on the <laughs> screen. No? Yeah. Oh, very good. Uh, so <laughs> got that changed, and that solved everything. Uh, so then I uh, felt pretty good about that. Went out on Sunday, flew the Luscombe a little bit on Sunday on what I thought was a nice morning. It ended up being horribly bumpy from about ground level to about a hundred feet, which made my landings a little more interesting than I would have liked. And then, uh, on Monday, which was a holiday over here in the United States, uh, took the debonair out and, uh, flew it with my instructor and we fiddled with all the buttons and all the new boxes and everything worked. 
flew it away from the airport for the first time and I was able to track myself on flight aware and wow. Everybody could hear me, so it was great. Give that man an nice. A&G really? qualification. Yeah, let's uh, let's give you a, a round of applause for that. Good job. Yeah, good job. And uh, as well. <laughs> nailed it. Nailed it. He nailed it. All right. Um, well, and I know that there there have been events. That have happened uh, in recent uh, times, and we're going to talk about that uh, very shortly. shortly. Uh-huh. Like right now, Liz? No, 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 no. We're going to do cover art. Oh, we're going to do cover art. I'm sure. News. God, thank goodness yeah. Liz is there <laughs> telling me what to do. Um, we're going to. Um, I could tell you what to do as well. Well, I know you that. could, but <laughs> can't tell you how many times I've heard that. <laughs> and it never does any good. Uh, so let's do the cover art from the, the last episode. <laughs> uh, wow, it's I don't know. Classic. I don't know how much detail we want to get into here. But uh, anyway, the uh, <laughs> very very clever artwork, uh, Captain Nick. Uh, we were talking about the incident at the um, what was the name of the place? Halibut Cove in uh, Alaska. Oh, yes. Uh, yeah. Where the uh, the beaver the uh, the airplane uh, on floats uh, was in the uh, Halibut Cove and apparently uh, one of the uh, proprietors of a, a restaurant there uh, took umbrage to the uh, airplane <laughs> being in her cove. So the to beaver speak. that was yeah. yes. Uh, yeah. Well, yeah, so many so many meanings here. Uh, so anyway, uh, we thought that uh, this might be a kind of a cute title. Uh, chasing beaver, and uh, so yes, the artwork. Captain Jeff. <laughs> is, uh, the uh, yes, I am uh, the captain with eye an patch. eye patch, uh, looking pretty darn sharp, I have to say, in my double breasted. I, I, so. I like I like your new tie. <laughs> yeah, yeah I kept good. so I I didn't zoom in closely enough to what is my tie? What is what's skulls, on my tie? Skulls. Oh well, skulls. it's a bunch of pirates. Oh. Okay, skulls. pirate skulls wearing and stuff. pirate hats. Ah, okay. Oh, very nice. And you uh, might notice that your ID photo also has a pirate hat on. <laughs> I need to look at this a little bit more closely. <laughs> I don't think I ever zoomed in. <laughs> and your and if anyone's looking for the show uh, number, yes. which is often hidden away, mm-hmm. you just have to look at uh, Jeff's chest. You might need yes. to blow the picture up a bit, though. Okay. <laughs> You're saying have a small chest? <laughs> yes, you do. <laughs> but over in the corner is nine emergencies. Yes, the, well, uh, I uh, love this. Over to the right side of the uh, of the graphic is, <laughs> and you, you know, have to listen to the show to understand, uh, you know, why this is funny. Um, is a uh, uh, is that a submarine in the uh, in the water in the cove? Yeah, well, I, I I thought it inappropriate since we had a a, a, a water. Uh, scene here to put an airplane there. Yeah. So yeah, we've got a, a submarine that's sinking. Uh, yeah. Submarines do sink, I know, but yeah, that's the so normal. So this one thing is 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 a German yeah. submarine, but they're in German. Nine emergency. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, I think submarines dive. Right? Oh, they dive. They don't sink when they're not uh, when they're not in peril. <laughs> yeah. They dive. Well, some of them do yeah. actually they sink. Only sink when they're in peril. <laughs> 
<laughs> Good point. Good point. But of yeah. course, the nine emergency has nothing to do with submarines. It has to do with a very large aircraft that uh, lost yes. an engine. And uh, yeah, listen to the last show. Okay. You'll understand. I haul boxes. Yeah. Uh, I haul boxes says beaver rubbing its eyes because of the size of Jeff's cannon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, that that's yeah, not the first time that's happened. Um, anyway, uh, so yeah, braggart. Yeah, I'm in uh, in a dream world. I think. Anywho, uh, so very. <laughs> this is very, now that I'm actually seeing all the little uh, uh, Detail. details in this whole thing, I, I'm appreciating yeah. it even more. And, and we're not That's even going to talk about. Oh, I, we could uh, talk about your hat, which has got an anchor on it. Yeah, I see yeah. that. Yeah. Are we going to talk about the Merkin? Um, yeah, I'm a I'm an American, um, and uh, oh, you go ahead. What I, I, I no, I know that's not what you said. Uh, there's a there is a picture of a beaver with a very very bushy beaver tail. There you go. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. Uh, we managed to cram a bit in there. Yeah. Well, that's what she said. Good fun. <laughs> Definitely. Yes. By the way, you've got a very nice shiny gun there. Oh, thank you for noticing. (laughs) Yeah, you must have spent a lot of time polishing it. Well, I do. (laughs) Sadly. I do. <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay, that's boy. enough. Okay, yeah, I think we're, yeah, we've pushed the limits on that Done one. That one it was, uh, it yeah. was really, really good artwork. Thank you, uh, Nick. Oh, you're <laughs> very awesome. welcome. <sighs> Tim Van Ram is wondering uh, if there uh, were um, brass balls as well. <laughs> well, of course, they had to go in the cannon. Yes. Cannon. Yeah. Exactly right. Oh, oh boy. Ooh, it's getting hot in here. Okay, so it's fun time. <laughs> what time is it? It's coffee fun time. It's coffee fun time. Okay. That means it's time for me to push this. Have button. I got time to mix a gin yep. and tonic? Oh yeah, go yes, ahead. Sir. Yeah, we'll we'll Thank vamp you. if you're not back in time. Cheers. Johnny, how much more coffee? Go thanks. I love coffee. I love tea, I love the APG community, coffee and tea, and the Java and me, a cup, a cup, a cup, a cup, a cup, oh yeah. That is Jeff Smith, spelled with a G, G-E-O-F-F, Smith, who is a, a Joff, yes, uh, who is a wonderful musician and a creative artist uh, who came up with this uh Java Jive for the uh, Coffee Fund, APG, and he's also the guy that came up with our theme song at the beginning of the show. Anywho, uh, Coffee Fund, it's your way to support the show financially. A couple different ways to do that. One is the uh, the OG, the original Coffee Fund classic method, uh, and we had uh, Michael Slough or Slow, I'm not sure, Slow maybe, S L O U S L. O-U-G-H, slow. Um, Send us a nice uh, one-time donation via the Coffee Fund Classic. Thank you, Michael. And we also have recurring um, contributors using that method as well. And the other way to support the show via the Coffee Fund is to become a patron of the show at patreon.com slash guy. And no new patrons this week, but don't you worry. We have a bunch of great patrons already, and... Um, consider signing up to become a patron of the show via Patreon because I've been doing, not daily, almost daily digests 
between shows just to kind of catch you up with what I've been doing um, uh, behind the scenes and between shows and that sort of thing. So if you're interested in that kind of thing, consider joining the Coffee Fund cadre or the Coffee Bar Club. And uh, information about how you can do that is available uh, via airlinepilotguy.com slash coffee. Join us. You'll be glad you did. Uh, and we will, too. All right. So we'll wait for Captain Nick to return. Mm-hmm. He's, he's stirring up and concocting a... Mm-hmm. Uh, London a dry um, gin from London cocktail, I would imagine. Mm-hmm. By the way, Liz, that's... hang yes, on. Yes, sir. Um, hang on. See if I can do this without knocking anything over. Mm-hmm. Liz gave me this wonderful gift. Yeah, it's a gin. Uh, it's called the Valley of Mother of God. And uh, it is a a Canadian dry gin made in Ontario. Uh, This begins life at Fox Glove Farm where our soft winter wheat. And then there's something. And then they put this little gold gold, uh, label, gold metal sticker over the top of it. So I can't actually read all the wonderful words describing this wonderful gin. But, oh, you like it. Good. I'm glad yeah, you like it. It's very good. Thank you. Good. Excellent. Cheers. Cheers. All right. Hey, there's uh, Captain Nick with it. What? No, no, hold that thing up. You need to unmute yourself. Yeah, there's some lemon in there. It's, oh, okay. So at first, TNT I must have been looking at your uh, your thumb, thumb on the yeah, other side, but it, it looked like it was too. dark liquor or something in there. Yeah, I'm thinking, no. wait a minute. Uh, no. What kind no. of gin is that? Yeah, very weird. Uh, just... Uh, one of the Goldens. Okay. I think it's a Goldens. Goldens, Jim, that one. So we have one more news item to cover here, gentlemen. You mean like this? <laughs> <laughs> well, sort of, except it's uh, one of their rhubarb and berry flavored ones. Ah. Ooh. That sounds interesting. Which is the flavor of the month. Ah. Very good. Okay. So we have another news item. Very oh. tasty. Oh, uh, the control room is telling me now that we have another news item. And uh, this is one that is um, uh, sad news. And let me see. Let me find it. Uh, Number three. Number three. Thank you. Okay. So let's um, start. Well, not start. But let's, uh, before we move on to feedback, uh, let's talk about this. Um, A veteran pilot was killed in a vintage airplane crash in Kern County. Now, this is especially um, uh, poignant for all of us here at the APG, especially the APG crew, especially um, Nick Camacho, Um, a well-known member of the vintage aircraft community and board member of the Estrella Warbirds Museum, was killed in a plane crash Friday in Shafter, California. Representatives of the museum confirmed that the pilot was Sherman Smoot. According to the Kern County Fire Department, he was a fl- he was flying a World War II plane that had been converted for air racing competition. It happened at Minter Field Airport. And in fact, if you listen to our show, uh, I think it was either the last episode or the one before where Nick Camacho was telling us all about this airplane that uh, uh, Sherman was going to be flying in the Reno Air Races coming up here pretty pretty soon. Um. 
Yeah, he uh, was flying this highly modified uh, Yakovlev Yak-11, used by the Soviet Air Force from 1947 until 1962. And this um, very highly modified version of the plane was called Checkmate, like Czech, C-Z-E-C-H, a play on words. It was reportedly being rebuilt in preparation for the upcoming Reno air races. Smoot was the only person on board. Uh, Sherman has been an avid air racer in the unlimited class for years, racing various aircraft, but mostly known for racing checkmate. Unlimited air racing in Reno is known as the bad boys of air racing, as they are typically racing modified World War II aircraft. This year, Sherman and checkmate were a favorite to win the current listed field. Sherman is among the legends when it comes to air racing, never winning the gold. Everyone was excited for this to be the year. And from what I can tell from other sources, uh, it looked like he was definitely the one that was, uh, you know, favored to uh, to win this year the gold. For the last four years, Sherman had raced a Sea Fury for another plane owner, and this year was to be the return of Checkmate. And um, anyway, uh, Sherman had some difficulty on takeoff shortly before the crash. I think it was an engine failure of the uh, aircraft, and he tried to make a turnaround to land the thing back at the airport and uh, didn't make it back. And uh, you also know that um, Sherman was um, kind of the, was he the the chief pilot, uh, the guy in charge of the entire crew of the uh, Betsy's Biscuit Bomber cadre, of which um, Nick Camacho, you're um, a a big part of as well, and your father. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, he was uh, he was part of the airplane from the beginning. He's actually the one that brought the airplane back to the museum. Uh, he he's trained everyone that's flown the airplane. So yeah, big loss. Yeah. So why don't uh, why don't you share a little bit with us um, some some memories that you may have had with Sherman? I, I assume that a, a lot of them. You have some pictures that you've uh, included, and we want to yeah, share with so, our community. Um, you know, and some of this stuff I think will be rehashed in Nick's. Uh, uh, interview, so I won't try to um, hit that. But uh, you know, when I got involved with the C forty seven, it was kind of a um, accident of circumstance, I guess. I was going to school not far from there, and um, my dad and I just went up to the museum, kind of on a on a whim, because uh, it was it was nearby. It's about half an hour from where I was going to school, and. Um, got talking to a couple of the guys who were at the museum working on the C-47 just because we like C-47s. And then we found out that uh, Sherman was the chief pilot. And uh, my dad had known Sherman back in the seventies. They flew together a little bit, you know, kind of hung out in the same circles because they were the same age and both into aviation and had airplanes and stuff. And so that's kind of how I got to know Sherman. And he was uh, just, um, welcoming from the beginning, you know, I was basically a young guy who had no, uh, no pedigree to be there. I, you know, I had a couple hundred hours of flight time in little airplanes. Um, and you know, he couldn't care less. Uh, he got me in the airplane pretty quick, started flying, uh, pretty early and, uh, got a lot of, uh, have a lot of good memories flying with him. Um, I put some pictures in here, you know, obviously, uh, Friday and Saturday were pretty tough. Um, I put some pictures in here that I found as I was going through them. Uh, 
in addition to the C47, one of our uh, museum members used to have a BT-13. And uh, I got to fly that some with Sherman. He checked me out in that. Um, so that was a lot of fun. Uh, that's probably one of my favorite pictures of, uh, sitting in the front with him in the back and the canopy open. Um, you know, also in addition to the flying, that was like pre, uh, kids, a lot less worries in my life. So, um, it was just a fun time to be going out and flying. Uh, this is the first, so this picture, uh, is pretty standard kind of crew picture. Um, but it was kind of cool to me cause this is, uh, the, this would be the 2016, I guess, uh, Salinas air show. And, uh, you can see me and Shane there in the picture. And this is the first time, uh, Sherman kind of cut us loose to fly without him. We were dropping jumpers at this show. Uh, Shane and I flew the airplane up there on our own. It was the first time me and him flew the airplane without Sherman. Uh, Sherman flew up in his T-28. Uh, rode with us on the practice day on Friday uh, to make sure he was happy with everything. And then he blasted out of there. I think he had a wine function or something. I don't remember. Um, but he couldn't be there that weekend. So he uh, kind of gave us his final blessing and blasted out of there. So that was a, that was the first air show that uh, Shane and I flew together um, without Sherman kind of holding our hands long. So that was uh, kind of a, a big moment for us. Uh, sorry, this is obvious. I'm sorry. You said uh, wine or uh, wine event, or uh, it was he a co-owner of a winery? And uh, yeah, okay. Yep, he owned a winery in Paso Robles. Okay, he was uh, pretty well known for a wine called Fighter Pilot Red. Oh, um, nice. Yeah, and uh, he, uh, I think he actually retired early from. He was a pilot for Continental. I think he actually retired early from Continental. Um, when his, uh, winery kind of got, kind of got going at, he, he was into wine, I think for most of his life and, you know, started this winery with one of his buddies that he grew up with. Um, and, uh, it was pretty successful. He was, uh, you know, doing a lot of, um, work there, going to a lot of functions. Um, you know, we were always kind of hassling him to retire from the winery so he could fly with us more, <laughs> but, uh, you know, he enjoyed both, I, I'm sure that the people who did wine stuff with him um, think that he probably loved wine as much as anything. I'm sure he he liked it a lot, but you know, I don't, I don't know anybody who liked flying more than Sherman. So um, I always wish he could come with us more. But uh, yeah, and then I put a picture in here of this is a our group right as we're getting ready to leave from California. So this was like May second or third. And then these guys, uh, with the exception of me and then, uh, Rob on the far left, uh, these guys were all with the airplane for basically two and a half months away from home. So, um, that was a lot of stress, a lot of work, but also a lot of fun. Um, <laughs> and then I put a picture in here of, uh, I was explaining to some of the guys before the show, um, I'm really bummed because. I didn't take any pictures of our crew um, after we finished up the June 6th flight over the uh, Normandy Memorial, basically because that was kind of the big driver for our whole trip. And this, um, you know, this, I don't know, three or four month long, really hard push to get the airplane ready and then get the pilots ready and proficient and then actually fly the airplane across the ocean and then, you know, get to within, 
get to where we're within a hundred miles of what we're going to do and still be able to, um, finish the trip. So it was, uh, this evening was really the, uh, first evening we could all kind of sit back and take a breath. And, uh, I took a little kind of like crew log of our crew that I put up on our Facebook page, uh, back then, but I didn't take any pictures. So, um, this is a picture of, uh, Sherman sitting with the rest of us at dinner that night, kind of decompressing after we had kind of reached, uh, accomplished our ultimate mission for that trip, which was to fly, uh, over Normandy on June 6th. Nice. <laughs> this is just Sherman and I, uh, showing how well Americans fit in European cars. <laughs> um, in, in the United States, one thing we found out on our trip to Europe is in the United States, you can actually fit five people into a rental car. Yeah. Uh, reasonably well and in europe that's not really doesn't really work as well <laughs> and so we had five people and we told them oh we'll take your smallest car and that way we'll you know we had either five or six people and we figured oh we'll just take the smallest car it won't be a big deal <laughs> well it was a really small car so here's <laughs> sherman and i squished together uh in germany and then uh this is a picture on the last flight uh i got to fly with him this was in uh let's see may this was actually the uh this was the morning after uh, my folks' house got hit by the tornado. So oh. I showed up and, oh, wow. you know, um, that was another day that was uh, a little stressful. But by the time I um, I was trying to decide if I needed to uh, go home, like get on an airline and get home right away. And uh, my dad is just like, any opportunity you get to fly that airplane, you need to go fly it. And so, of course, I talked to him and he's like, nope, I'm fine go fly the airplane. So, uh, I got to go fly it, uh, one more time with Sherman. And, uh, you know, I, one thing I realized as I was going through all my pictures is, um, I do a really good job of taking pictures of myself flying a C-47. Um, I don't know, cause it's such a cool airplane, I guess. Um, so I'm fortunate to have a lot of pictures, uh, with him and kind of, it just kind of like reinforced to me that I should probably be doing a better job of taking pictures, uh, with all the people I get to fly with. But, uh, yeah, he was, um, the best pilot that I probably ever flew with. Um, you know, the, uh, I think that, uh, there's a lot of metrics you can grade pilots by. Um, I was fortunate that I got to fly with him a lot. Um, in a kind of like an instructor student scenario, got to learn a lot from him. And, uh, one of the things that I like, um, I think one of the ways that I, I kind of grade people, I kind of look at people is, uh, especially instructors is how well they can, uh, how comfortable they are in the airplane with you and, uh, how, um, how deep they can let you make a mistake. And I don't know if that makes any sense, mm -hmm. but, um, no, I've, yeah. I've flown with two people, um, Sherman and then a guy here, uh, at my air, airport here who taught me how to fly tailwheels. And, um, the thing that stands out about those two guys to me is that, uh, they are so good in the airplane. They can, um, they'll see a mistake coming and they can just kind of let you fly deeper into that mistake, uh, without getting yourself in trouble. And it just reinforces things so much better um, than, you know, a guy who is guarding the stick. And every time you maybe make one slight 
air. He says, no, don't do that. You know, mm. I, I feel like it's harder to learn something. Um, you know, I remember one of the first, um, early on when I was flying with Sherman in the C-47, uh, <laughs> we were flying at the Chino air show in front of a bunch of people. And I had some experience in the airplane. I mean, I, it wasn't like my first takeoff, but, um, you know, I was still pretty, pretty green. And I may have told this story on the, on the show before, I don't know, but, um, you know, we started rolling and one of the things about the C-47 is the, with the single tail and the two engines, you get, uh, elevator control very early cause you've got prop blasts over the elevators, but you have no yaw control because, you know, you're rolling 15 miles an hour or whatever, 20 miles an hour down the runway. And, uh, so I had a bad habit of getting the tail up as soon as I could from the little tail draggers that I'd flown. And, um, so, you know, I put the power up and immediately uh, push the yoke forward. Well, the elevators are effective right away because of the, the prop blast. And so the tail comes up and then we kind of start, um, yawing a little bit one way. And I just like, keep putting a little rudder in, keep putting a little rudder in, keep putting a little rudder in and nothing's happening because there's, you know, virtually no airflow over the rudder. And I kind of arrest the yaw about the time that the rudder hits the stop. And I, like, I have this extreme panic attack of, oh my gosh, I'm in a world of hurt here. <laughs> what am I going to do? <laughs> so then of course the nose starts swinging the other way and I'm feeding in opposite rudder to try to catch it and don't get it in time. And it overcorrects. And I just start this like sideways PIO thing. <laughs> and I'm working so hard to uh, get the airplane going straight down the runway that I'm not paying attention to the pitch. I'm not paying attention to speed or anything. And um, I'm a little tail low and we fly off the ground at, um, I don't know, maybe 80 or 82 knots. Um, and, and rotate speed on that airplane is 97. I'm sorry, 80 or 82 miles an hour. Rotate speed is like 97 miles an hour. Um, and so I kind of see that and I kind of push a little bit. And eventually get the speed up. We get the airplane cleaned up and and we start flying away. And through this whole thing, Sherman never said anything to me. And I, you know, like I'm practically, I'm shaking. I'm like holding the yoke so tight and finally get like the airplane straight and level and flying away from the ground. And I just kind of look over at him and he's looking at me and he's just like, what, what are you doing over there? <laughs> was what like, was that? I was like, what a great story, know. Nick. Um, so yeah, I, you know, it's just things like that. Uh, I, it, uh, you know, and then obviously afterwards we landed and we talked through it and he said, you've got to keep the tailwheel of this airplane on the ground longer than you expect because of the, the adverse yaw and rudder situation. And that's one of the first things I tell everybody. Um, I was just having this conversation with Armando a couple weeks ago and I met up with him, uh, cause he's got DC three turboprop time, which is a little bit different. And we were talking through, uh, some of the different idiosyncrasies, but that's, you know, whenever people ask me about the C-47, I always talk about taxing. It's really hard. And then you got to keep the tailwheel on the ground because of that. And I just, you know, it's just one of those things where I feel like, um, that lesson got solidified in my mind because he was comfortable to just sit over there and let me make that mistake. So, um, yeah, uh, he's, uh, He's a great guy to fly with, great guy to hang out with. I mean, Captain Nick got to spend a little bit of time with him. Uh, wish you could have gone out on the town with him and had a little fun with him. But um, uh, he was, um, you know, so generous 
with uh, everyone involved in aviation that was around him. Um, everybody loved hanging out with him. You know, we have uh, strong ties to Planes of Fame and some of the some of the really well-known Warbird people. And a lot of those are due to Sherman. So um, I'm just happy I got to spend the amount of time with him that I did. Sweet. Yeah. He seems to be very, very well-known in, in the Warbird and racing community. Oh, and much loved. Yeah. And much loved, yes. Absolutely. Hey, Steph. Hey, Nick. Hey. Oh, hey, guys. Sorry for jumping in here and uh, for being tardy. Um, and unfortunately, I can't stay, but I knew that y'all were um, going to be discussing Sherman, and I just wanted to make sure I stopped in and gave my condolences to Nick. And to I'm, I'm so glad I got here in time to hear that wonderful story, because I don't think I'd heard that one before. And, and that's fantastic and see all these great pictures. I'm so glad that you have so many great memories, uh, you know, and you were able to spend so much time flying and learning from him, because those types of mentors really don't come around very often. So... Um, yeah, just wanted to pass along my condolences and, and hopefully if any of his other friends or family are listening, you know, my condolences to them as well. Nicely yeah. said. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. And, and I apologize as well because I can't stay. Unfortunately, today has not gone the way I planned for it to. I plan to be here the entire time on the show with you lovely people. And, um, I'm sorry about that, but hopefully I will catch you all next week and I'll fill you in on what I've been up to and what I've been doing because things have been busy as per okay. usual, I suppose. Well, ab absence <laughs> makes the heart grow fonder. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Absolutely. Well, anyway, take care, y'all. Have a great rest of the show, and I'll, I'll go back and listen to all the things you guys have talked about. So. Cheers, Steph. All right. Thanks for popping Bye. in. Sure. Appreciate it. Bye. Bye. All right. Well, um, so we had talked about the fact that um, our plane tail for our Nick's plane tail for this episode uh, is focused on the interview that you, you had with the Sherman Smoot a um, couple of years back, right? Uh, yeah. 2019. Okay. And that was right. Uh, wasn't it Nick, when you guys came yep. across? Okay. Yep. I mean, time flies so much now. I just, I lose track of everything, but uh, well, that's true. And, but it was, uh, it was lovely to be invited up to Duxford to, uh, chat to Nick. Um, he was a listener of the show and, uh, um, you know, he knew that uh, we might be interested to see the aircraft. Uh, as it turned out, it was fantastic. And all the pictures you'll see during this plane tale were taken during that uh, um, one day's visit with uh, Nick and his father, his lovely father, and uh, the rest of the crew. And, of course, I got a chance to chat to... Um, Chairman, which was a real treat. It is with great sadness that our co-host Nick Camacho informed us that his friend and mentor, Sherman Smoot, died in an aircraft crash on Friday the 2nd of September 2022. Sherman was flying a highly modified Yakolev Yak-11, nicknamed Checkmate, which was being rebuilt in preparation for the upcoming Reno air races. Our hearts go out to Sherman's friends and family, and in his memory, we'd like to replay the interview he kindly gave to Plain Tales at the Aviation Museum Duxford in 2019, when he flew to Europe in the C-47 Betsy's Biscuit Bomber to participate in the 75th anniversary of the Normandy landings and the 70th anniversary of the Berlin Airlift. 
Hull Pilots Plane Tales. Dax on D-Day, Part 2. To conclude this tale of the participation of Betsy's Biscuit Bomber, a World War II vintage Douglas C-47, in the 75th anniversary of D-Day on the 6th of June 1944, I cover the background of some of the pilots in the aircraft's history and how it got to take part. So I'm here with uh, Sherman Smith, who is uh, the chief pilot of uh, Betsy's Biscuit Bomber. Is that right? That's right. Okay, how did you get involved with this wonderful airplane? Well, uh, I was a member of the Australia Warbird Museum, and, and uh, one of our donors, um, Glenn Thompson, uh, bought the airplane, and uh, he needed somebody to go up and ferry it back from Canada. So uh, I said, I'll go. You know, so we uh, we went went up there, and uh, the mechanics went up first, got the airplane fine. Been sitting up there outside for eight years, and so they got the engines cleaned out and ran them. And then I went up there and went up with another guy who had much more time in a DC three than I did, and we brought it back. It's a remarkable airplane with a fantastic history. Could you tell me a little bit about it? Well, the the records show that the best we can get is that. Uh, uh, she arrived in uh, uh, England probably about a month or so after actual D-Day invasion. So she missed D-Day about four to six weeks, but she participated in, in uh, a lot of the other drops. She carried a lot of the VIPs around, but she is a complete paratrooper-configured airplane. Uh, we think she did the drop in the Bulge in the Market Gardens, but um, uh, we do know that she spent, um, at the end of the war, um, uh, she was part of the Berlin Airlift. Then she went to the Belgian Air Force, and then she went to the French Air Force on Lend-Lease. And then the French sold it to the Israelis. Now, I don't know how you get a leased airplane and you sell it to the Israelis, but they sold it to the Israelis, and the Israelis had it for uh, oh, probably 20 years. And they flew it. Uh, was one, they, they put up some extra antennas on it and used it as a spy plane. Really? A spy plane? Yeah, they, they, they listened to all the recordings and all that stuff. Uh, and uh, and then they uh, they didn't retire. They put it in their fleet reserve program. So it spent another ten or fifteen years um, on on ready reserve. Uh, they did all the inspections. They ran the engines. They flew it once in a while, but it really didn't fly at all. So when we got the airplane, total airframe hours in this airplane is ninety six hundred hours. Wow, that's low. Really low. Most DC threes are forty to fifty thousand. So it, it could have an enormous life ahead of it. Oh yeah. She could. We we just uh, rebuilt the wings, had the wings gone through. We did the spar check, pulled, demated the wings, and went through that, and found a little bit of corrosion. Had to re- re- replace some of the flange angles, but she's ready to go. Now the uh, the flight out must have been interesting. Have you been uh, down there? Is it the the Blue Spruce route before? Never. So uh, tell me, where, how did it go? Well, you know, I mean, I've been across the Atlantic many times as an airline pilot, and uh, but that, but you know. There you have a flight attendant call button, a first-class meal, and a drink holder, you know. Uh, going across the old routes, uh, it was tough. I mean, a lot of planning. Uh, you're always iffy on the fuel when you get there. And if you get there and you can't land, then you really don't have much options. You have to uh, – there's a few other ships up there, but none of them have fuel. So, you know, so it would, took a lot of planning and it, we watch the weather really, really closely because anytime you go through Greenland, you know, the weather is always changes in a minute there. 
Now, um, did you drop into places like Sonderstrom Field? Yeah, we did. We landed in Sonderstrom. Uh, originally, we were supposed to go to Narsarsarak, but we didn't because the winds were just too unpredictable. They were blowing 40, 40 knots, and uh, uh, pretty much down the runway, but, you know, the winds can change at any moment. When you get there, this airplane will not land at a 43-knot crosswind, so... But it must have been quite impressive. I mean, I've only heard about the place and had it on our maps as an emergency diversion, but it must have been a beautiful airfield air to land at. What, Sutterstrom? Yeah. Oh, yeah, that whole thing is beautiful. We uh, we actually had one of the helicopter pilots took us um, took us under his wing when we landed there, one of the SAR helicopter pilots, and he, we drove us all up to the to the ice cap. And we were uh, we were standing on the Greenland ice cap, and it was it was spectacular spectacular we went up there and we drank a little vodka you know and and uh, it was amazing and then taking off we flew over the ice cap to iceland and it's all white and except this guy said you guys you're right on the route take a look all of a sudden you'll see a what looks like a uh, oil rig out there but it's not it was the early warning radar system for the u.s government you know and there's two of them there's one at 100 miles one at 200 miles and uh, we're flying along. All of a sudden, I saw a black speck out there. And I said, well, what is that? We went over, took a look, flew you know, There it was. I just right out of the middle of the ice, there's this structure. And it was an early warning system. People actually lived out there. And he told us he's landed a helicopter out there. And he, he said, this, you can walk into the place. It's, they left so fast. It looks, they left the dinner. The place settings were set on the table. It's, it's, it's unbelievable. Wow, what a sight that yeah. must have been. Iceland, uh, an interesting place? Yeah, we were going to spend an extra couple of days there uh, just to sort of relax a little bit since we, you know, we're on our last leg to get across the Atlantic. And um, the weather was coming up and we couldn't find a place to stay. Uh, our rooms, we only had our rooms there for one night. The next night, there was no, there was no place to stay. So we just loaded up the airplane and came down to Prestwick. But uh, Iceland was beautiful too. Absolutely. Now, that leg from Iceland to Prestwick is quite a long leg, isn't it? Yeah, it's uh, probably about 700, 750 nautical miles, something like that. And, and uh, yeah, it was it, actually, it was our longest leg. And um, um, But we had tailwinds, so it worked out good. And, and Betsy behaved herself? Oh, yeah. Well, she's been, a, she's been a solid thoroughbred. I mean, you know, our only real issues uh, were really right here in Duxford, uh, you know, our biggest issue. And... Uh, we we have we had a starter clutch was starting to slip a little bit, so everybody liked to just change the starter. Well, when they went to put the starter back in, actually they got it in. Uh, they reached up and grabbed it on the generator. The generator like almost falling off the airplane, and so we thought, uh, so they pulled the generator off and it sheared all the gears inside. And and uh, that's the only thing we didn't bring was a spare generator. So, uh, you know, we made a send-out emergency text to all the guys, and the guy walked over with the generator and said, here, use this, and, you know, when you get yours, send it to me. So put the generator on. She's running good now. And then the other engine, we were just doing an inspection just to like to make sure it got to tighten her up once in a while. So they're going through the engine, and uh, they found uh, the top rear cylinder, uh, the intake, short intake stack that, that's attached to the cylinder, was all wobbly and just flopping around in there, and somebody had riveted it in. And uh, so we, we had a spare cylinder, so we liked to just to change the cylinder, and now she's running fine. Brilliant. Now, I ought to make the point that you're an ex-U.S. Navy uh, Phantom pilot. Is that right? Yes, sir. 
So, uh, it must have been marvellous, flying off the carrier in the Phantom. I, I envy you. Well, yeah. I mean, it was... Um, it was very rewarding. I, the Navy flight programs, I think, is the best in the world. I mean, it teaches you how to concentrate, for sure. Uh, but you flew Phantoms. I mean, it's just a lovely airplane, you know. Oh, it, oh, it is. But the idea of doing a, a night deck landing uh, would have filled me with great trepidation. Well, the Phantom is a very stable platform. I mean, you know, when, uh, it, we use it a lot in Vietnam as a bomber, quite frankly. And, uh, you know, if it wasn't for some of the computer things that the A7 or the A6 had... You know, we were, and every once in a while we'd practice behind the ship, just iron bombsite practice. Phantoms would win all the time. It pissed them off. <laughs> but we would win because it's a good, stable platform. Come aboard the ship, it's rock solid. I mean, it wasn't like the F-8 or, or any of those other, the A-7, because they had a little bit of spool-up problem, you know. But the Phantom was rock solid on the on, on approach. So you, you could have done it. It wouldn't have been a problem. I would have loved to have had it go. What did you fly in the Civi world? Uh... Well, after I got out of the uh, uh, military, I got a job with the airlines. Tell everybody I went to the dark side. Instead of making a military career, I decided to go for the airlines. And, and uh, in Continental, I flew for Continental for 28 years. And uh, I flew all the Boeings except the uh, the 7-4. I didn't fly the 7-4, didn't fly the 7-3. But I flew the 7-2, um, 7-5, 7-6, and triple seven. And uh, I, I flew the DC-10. I love the DC-10. That, I think that was one of my favorite wide bodies. It was my favorite wide body until the 777 came along, and I thought, okay, this this is a pilot's airplane. They did a nice job in the 777. Um, then I flew the MD-80, and and uh, I have other type ratings too. But you know, those, but that was those were the airline airplanes that I flew. Brilliant. And uh, nowadays uh, you're well retired and just flying this beautiful uh, C-47 around. Do you have anything else that you uh, you like to take airborne? Yeah. Well. Yeah, I, uh, I flew, um, we got to fly Spitfire here yesterday, and uh, that was amazing for me. And, um, but I'm fortunate enough to, to, I fly Warbird sometimes, you know, I get, uh, my first Warbird I ever flew was a P-47 Thunderbolt, and uh, that was amazing to me. And then from there, started racing the Unlimited Race Class at Reno, and so I've flown Mustangs before, and P-40s, and those kind of airplanes, but... Uh, uh, it's just, I've been blessed, I guess. I don't know, lucky. That's pretty much what it is, is luck. You know, in aviation, there's skill and luck, but, you know, there's, there's a very fine line, you know. So, I mean, aviation is uh, probably half luck, as it is skill. That's the way I think of it. Well, that's, that's a brilliant uh, thought. Anyway, I'd like to thank you very much indeed for chatting to us today, Sherman, and uh, I wish you very well with the flights you have uh, over the next few days over to Normandy. Thank you. We're looking forward to it, really. Having talked to Sherman Smoot for a while, I then found Nick Camacho, the friend of the APG show, who had invited me up to Duxford to look around Betsy, and I asked him how he got involved with the aircraft to eventually become one of its pilots. Uh, but basically, I, uh, my dad was a uh, radial engine mechanic in the Air Force back in the 60s. Um, when he kind of transitioned into civilian life, he stayed in the maintenance uh, aviation maintenance industry and actually got involved in the 80s uh, with a C-47 uh, flown out of a museum in Topeka. And uh, so I actually grew up with my dad uh, flying a, a different C-47. Uh, this was actually, this airplane was called Kiroi. It was out of the Combat Air Museum in Topeka. And 
so from the time I was born up until 90, 1995 when they stopped flying the airplane, uh, I just spent tons of time in the summer with my dad in the airplane. My first airplane ride I ever took, I was 10 months old on my mom's lap in that airplane. So I've been a C-47 guy since the very beginning. Uh, and then, unfortunately, the uh, museum made some decisions and uh, decided to uh, stop flying the airplane in 1995. Uh, so I kind of went off and did some uh, other things. Still kind of stayed involved in aviation. Uh, my dad uh, my dad had all his ratings and um, did all, a lot of flying before I was even around. And, and so we stayed in aviation but kind of got out of the Warbird thing a little bit. Um, still always loved Warbirds and round engines. And then I went to school in California in San Luis Obispo. And uh, my third or fourth year in school out there, um, uh, we just – there was a museum about half an hour from my school – and so we were just stopping by there. My dad, uh, my dad's from that area of California, so he'd come out to visit me regularly. Uh, we stopped. We stopped at this museum, and they had just finished um, repainting what is now uh, Betsy's Biscuit Bomber. This was uh, they acquired the airplane in about 2007, I think, um, and spent a couple years cleaning it up and repainting it. And then in 2009, uh, we showed up, maybe just a couple of months after the first flight kind of, you know, they got it recertified in the States and everything in the first flight. And so kind of with my background and my interest, I went up there and kind of started helping them. And it's a fairly small group and they were, uh, incredibly gracious and kind of sucked me in right away. And, uh, so that's how I got involved. And then, you know, once I got kind of got involved, our chief pilot, Sherman Smoot, I got to know him pretty well. And, uh, it actually turned out that he gave my dad, uh, he's also a local guy out there to uh, the central coast of California. And he gave my dad, aerobatic instruction at Satabria in like 1968. So they had known each other from way back and then, you know, moved forward. And now uh, my dad and I both started flying the airplane. My dad's a PIC rated pilot in the, uh, captain rated pilot in the airplane. Um, and so we both started flying the airplane with Sherman and we've added a couple of um, pilots to the group. So that's kind of the quick version of how I got into it. Uh, so when I got involved in the airplane, uh, my dad had some friends uh, out in the same area and was actually friends with the chief pilot. And so when I got involved with the airplane a decade ago, he kind of, we kind of got into it together. And then uh, my brother's also uh, kind of a history buff and also a pilot and everything. So when we had the chance to come over here, uh, he's going to be over here with us for three or four days. And then my dad's here for the duration. He's actually here for longer than I am. <laughs> now, I didn't realize you're an entire family of pilots, yeah? At least all, all the male side. Yeah. Yeah, so my mom... Uh, Provides all the support, and then yep, my dad, uh, my dad's a pilot, and then my brother and I are both uh, rated, uh, are both certificated pilots also. And also, you're engineers. Uh, yeah, so I'm. My dad is a. Uh, I assume you mean mechanic in the states. Uh, my dad is a an AMPIA uh, rated mechanic or engineer, and then I'm pretty close. I'd say in the next uh, three or four months, planning to take all my tests, I've done all the experience stuff and everything to do, um, to get my airframe and power plant uh, certificate for mechanicking in the United States. And then my brother is a little less so, he's, he's a, a little more basic uh, wrenching type of stuff, but he does also mess around with the airplanes a little bit. But me and my dad spend a lot of time working on it. So who who was that guy? Um, that voice. I, I don't know. He was some hanger. Sort on. of familiar to me. Yeah, I don't know. I, yeah. 
but uh, <laughs> <laughs> hanger on. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he was just uh, he was just putting the GoPros on the on, hanging some on the bits of the airplane, from what I could see. <laughs> and you thought, hey, uh, I'm going to talk to this guy. Maybe, yeah, <laughs> exactly. And uh, it was an absolute pleasure. I was, I felt really privileged to have been invited up there. It was lovely to meet uh, meet Nick, but uh, of course, the icing on the cake was to get to you know chat to Sherman. And I immediately realized that you know there was a chance that we would be kindred spirits. And I really would have loved to have spent more time with him talking about his time in the Navy because. Uh, I think we'd have um, we'd have hit it off quite well if uh, we'd been able to chat a bit longer. But it was wonderful to have had even that short time with him. He's got a had a wealth of experience. You could tell the flying just uh, you know oozed out of him. He was a superb person to uh, to talk to. So uh, yeah, it was great. And someone I didn't get to chat to really was uh, Nick's father. I would have loved to have spent some time with him but you know the 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 day was just not long enough sadly to have uh, dug into his uh, life because i think that would have been a very interesting talk as well well a plain tale perhaps or at a minimum a crew log with uh your dad's name's hector right yeah yep you, you yep. need to do one nick come on <laughs> yeah, now, yeah is he uh, is he a regular listener to our show uh yeah he tries to yeah, excellent. Yeah. yeah, I've met him uh, at least a couple of times, I think, in mm-hmm. in Wichita, and uh, yeah, that's all. You know, I know he's a, a great pilot because he has a great mustache. <laughs> he does. Yeah, he does. And and uh, all I seem to see him do is wipe up oil stains off the side of. I think he's so yeah. used to the like C-47. wiping up and cleaning up after Nick. After his, yeah, yeah. Uh, after all the mess that Nick made. Yeah, yeah. you're quite right. That's yeah. probably it. Yeah. So no, it was it was a great day. Shame the weather wasn't better, but um, I would have uh, you know it, just the whole way it was set up with all the paratroopers there in uh, in their wartime genuine wartime uniforms. Uh, all they would have had they been able to jump, they weren't at that time. But when they did jump, using you know round parachutes to replicate you know what the guys in the airborne would have done jumping on uh, over Normandy uh, on D-Day. It was very exciting, very, very atmospheric. Uh, and with those lovely vintage airplanes there, it was superb. It was a fantastic day out. Yeah, they weren't jumping with those little prissy parachutes that, uh, like Dr. Steph. No, no, not those, not those yeah. flying yeah, wing Steph's things. Yeah, gone. You can talk about her parachute. <laughs> it, <was laughs> it was good. It was lovely to meet Nick. And, uh, and but, of course, uh, you know, very poignant now looking back on that chat i really wish i'd had a chance to uh to meet sherman i never got that opportunity and i think uh, you'd have enjoyed his company i think so too yeah i think so too well here's to sherman smoot rest in peace cheers absolutely shame we've gone old chap all right anything else uh to say nick before we Move the show. No, along. unless other, other Nick wants to pipe up. Nope. Okay. Nope. Well, thank you for uh, sharing your <clears throat> excuse me, sharing your memories um, with with us. I, I know that was not an easy thing to do. And uh, all right, well, we won't dwell on that. Let's um, do this. Yeah. 
Captain. Incoming message. All right. Uh, this was sent to us from Mark Van Ram. The handsome Van Ram. The handsomest of the uh, two Van Ram brothers. I'm just kidding, Tim. <laughs> <laughs> Like to, I, having I like, said that, they're both pretty ugly. So, uh, <laughs> I did not say that. That was Nick. Only no, joking. Only joking. No, they're they're both very very beautiful people. Yes, I love them both very deeply. Uh, we won't go into details. Uh, Mark Van Ram sent uh, this. He says uh, reserve, or actually sent us a uh, a link to an article about a reserve. A U.S. Air Force Reserve philanthropist uh, develops uh, e-course to help others fly at Seymour Johnson Air Force Base. And uh, let's see, that's in North Carolina. Uh, that's in uh, North. There we go. When she was a little girl, Captain Kristen Nikki Bodie, 77th Air Refueling Squadron KC-46 pilot, used to lay in the grass with her grandmother on their farm in rural Saluda, South Carolina, and watch the fighter jets from nearby Shaw Air Force Base and McIntyre Joint National Guard Base fly overhead, wondering where they were going and what it would be like to fly through the clouds. I don't know what it's like to fly through the clouds. I always avoid them. Uh, her journey to become an Air Force pilot took years, and she flew all around the world in order to reach her goal. But Bodie took the things she's learned and developed an online course to help others find their path more easily. Uh, Bodie remembers sitting in church as young as five years old, hearing the preacher talk about serving in the military or as a missionary and thinking, he's talking about me. Someday, I'm going to leave my family and serve. Her love of watching airplanes spurred a strong desire to fly them. Every time I mentioned becoming a pilot, teachers in school would say, girls don't do that, Bodie said. I didn't know of any female pilots, so I believed them until I got to college and a good friend took flight lessons and asked if I wanted to go on a flight. Bodie, who was attending Clemson University, immediately fell in love with being in the air. Determined to become a professional pilot, she enrolled in a program at Embry-Riddle University. Upon completion of her MBA in aviation management and obtaining her flight ratings, Bodie landed her first flying job during aerial survey uh, in a Cessna 172, just like Stephen Ivey, the, one of our APG community members. As a brand new pilot, she was in charge of all aspects of each mission, from coordination to logistics, refueling, maintenance. That taught me a lot about myself as a person and a pilot. I was out there traveling the country by myself without nothing, with nothing but my suitcase and this tiny little airplane. It put me out of my comfort zone and made me more confident. After eight months, she began flying mapping missions in the King Air 200s, working seven days a week, followed by seven, day, seven days on, followed by seven days off. Looking to fill her time off, Bodie found Wings of Hope, a humanitarian organization that flies to highly remote locations to provide life-saving care interventions to people who have never had a chance to see a doctor. This mission was close to her heart for personal reasons. She says, uh, when I was around eight years old, I watched my cousin Lauren struggle through leukemia, so it meant a lot to me to fly these missions. When my cousin died, it was so impactful. My entire life, I knew I needed to give back. As the only young woman volunteering, Bodie had to work hard to build her credibility there. I would clean the hangar, mop, trade apple dumplings and pecan pie to learn. 
There, she learned to weld, do engine overhauls, change gears, fabrication, upholstery, and more. After a few months, she began flying children with terminal illnesses and disabilities around the country for treatment. She became more and more involved with Wings of Hope, eventually becoming a board member and assisting on a global level. She also started volunteering in the organization Summer SOAR, S-O-A-R, into STEM, S-T-E-M, program, partnering with Boeing to bring high-risk youth into the hangar to mentor them. We would talk about the military and show them how to join and get college paid for and help them get out of situations they're in and to something fulfilling. Pretty much from the minute I first flew at Clemson in 2009, I wanted to join the military, she said. For years, I tried to email my package to all the units I was interested in. I was not getting any response. By 2015, she finished her MBA fully rated and working for Republic Airlines as a first officer flying the Embraer 170. Through all those years, that nagging feeling that she would serve in the military had never left. Standing out among her peers with higher education and 3,000 flying hours, she was selected for officer, officer training school and undergraduate pilot training after a recruiter suggested that she put, an un, uh, put in an unsponsored package. Several squadrons called to interview her, and she joined the 916th Air Refueling Wing at Seymour, Seymour Johnson Air Force Base, North Carolina, as a KC-135R Stratotanker pilot. It was a backward way of doing things and a very hard way to get into the reserve, she said, who jokes that she had to fly all the way around the world to get to her goal of serving in the military. Uh, so, and the article continues and talks about how she set up this uh, e-course and uh, basically, you know, paying back, giving giving back to the wonderful career that she is currently uh, having in the military reserve and also, of course, her airline career. So, if you want to read more, we'll have a link in the show notes. And right now we're showing a... Well, we were showing a nice photo <laughs> until I said that, of um, Bodhi in front of a uh, KC-46, I think, yeah, um, air refueling tanker. And uh, yeah, it's a free e-course. You can go to bogeydope.com. <laughs> it's funny. Courses affordable. So anyway, so she's uh, she's pay- she's giving back to the community. Absolutely, it sounds like a great way uh, to find out information about how to get um, scholarships uh, and uh, how to uh, enroll, how to write uh, yourself up, mm-hmm. to applications, all the sort of nitty gritty of uh, submitting yourself uh, to follow the same path that. She took so uh, really nice of her to to give back in this way and help people, um, you know, take those first few steps uh, to follow her career, which I think is absolutely brilliant. So well done, young lady. Yes. Thank you Some very much. Some parallels with um, uh, pilot Craig, who was. Oh yeah, uh, uh, Liz is uh, mentioning that there's some um, parallels with. Uh, our, uh, Captain Craig. Captain Craig, who is a, a huge member of our APG community, who uh, you know was flying for he's Republic. Not big, is he? Well, I mean, he's bigger than I am. I oh, mean, okay. height-wise, right. not in girth. Oh, okay, fair um, enough. But uh, anyway, he uh, flew for Republic and uh, is now uh, flying for 
Has he gone through training yet in, at FedEx? Uh, he's still out in Altus. Okay, he's still at, um, in Air, the Air Force. Um, well, he's active duty at this point because he's um, you know going through training on the uh, C-17, which will be affiliated with the reserve unit at um, Martinsburg, um, Virginia, flying the C-17. And uh, anyway, so uh, his, his uh, flying career is just uh, going gangbusters. So, yeah. Yeah, I agree, Liz. Very uh, kind of a similar path that they're both taking. All right. Um, Number four. Sam writes in, hello all. I have a suggestion regarding individual pilots' option of when to take control of a commercial aircraft. I realize each company has different standard operating procedures, but I feel pilots should not be able to log in hours for any time the aircraft is in autopilot mode. <laughs> well, yeah, we, would, we would not have a lot of hours. Out, out, out of about... Uh, you know, 150 hours total flying. <laughs> no, you'd probably have more. Well, maybe, yeah, that's well, probably with close. My civil, my military stuff. Yeah, I mean, that's the, what I, I'm counting all the military stuff. I mean, yeah, a, lot of, a, a well, lot of my flying in the military was not um, on autopilot. I didn't know what an autopilot uh, exactly. was. Exactly. <laughs> um, <laughs> anyway, so he, go, he goes on. Reasons being, as you all seem to agree, uh, maybe he's misunderstood us, pilots chose to fly and they should as much as possible in order to remain skilled and continue to improve we never know what's going to happen and when they should be ready as possible at all times as well if not mandatory it will give many an incentive to fly the aircraft they're sitting in the seat anyway i have to admit that i prefer to see an older pilot on the flight deck yeah i do too <laughs> uh, well, please the one's likely to die of a heart attack so i'm not <laughs> oh, wait, so hey, keen shh, shh. please <laughs> Please see my next email regarding the crash at Sioux City in 1989. Take care. He says, I love your podcast. I'm learning so much, having a few good laughs. You're a good group together. Thank you, Sam. Um, so, you know, I, you know, people that have listened to the show understand that uh, many of us have kind of, you know, say that it's important to exercise manual flying skills, but... Um, in the airline world, especially the long haul airline world, um, but even on in the domestic world of flying air transport aircraft uh, like the type of jets that I fly, you know, on you know anywhere from half an hour to a couple hour flight, you know, so pretty relatively short flights. Um, if we had to hand fly the entire time, that would become very fatiguing and monotonous and. So, you know, we, we do fly a, a lot, hand flying, but, um, you know, the autopilot is definitely a, a safety item uh, that you want to have on. It's, and, you know, when the autopilot is on, you're still flying the airplane. That's a, a point to be made. A lot of people think that as soon as you switch the autopilot on, you're not even thinking about what is, you're not even paying attention to what the airplane's doing. But no, you're still actively flying the airplane just through the autopilot system. Um, and sometimes it's even more taxing, uh, in my opinion, uh, than actually just turning everything off and hand flying the airplane, uh, because you have to start thinking about what is programmed into the auto flight system and if it's going to be doing what you think you th told it to do. And it, would you agree, Captain Nick? Uh, yeah, I would definitely agree. Uh, there are a couple of points there. First of all, uh, it's usually illegal 
to um, hand fly the airplane in the cruise because you're in RVSMS space, reduced vertical separation minima, and you're obliged to use the hand to use the autopilot because of the small um, altitude difference between aircraft that are flying in the thousand feet rather than the usual 2,000 feet. So, uh, one, you legally can't. Um, two, uh, there's no real skill in flying straight and level. You know, I, I could teach my grandmother to fly straight and level in 30 seconds, and she'd probably do a reasonable job of it. Um, but uh, so, you know, you're not, you're not improving your flying skills in the cruise. You're just drilling holes through the sky, maintaining the same height, the same speed, uh, and the same heading. So, you know, that's that's it. Uh, the fact is you don't really need to be able to brush up on those skills. It's the maneuvering which occurs in the, you know, the descent and landing, the takeoff and climb. Um, so a lot of the time uh, you just put the autopilot in because, you know, there's no benefit from hand flying. Uh, and, um, you know, the other thing is that uh, you need to, in many situations, be able to um, drop the workload of hand flying the airplane so you can sit back in an emergency situation and analyze what is going on. Uh, and the autopilot's a great tool for that. So if the workload gets very high, even in a just a very difficult approach or in a complicated go-around like you might have uh, Hong Kong, it's quite important to have a, a uh, autopilot engaged so you don't have to use half your brain to manually fly the airplane and you can use your whole brain just to monitor what the airplane is doing so you don't fly into a damn hill. Um, by accident, uh, which because is not a good thing. Overloaded yourself. Yeah, yeah. Not right. So uh, for those very good reasons, uh, we need to use the autopilot. And let's not forget the autopilot's been around you know since the days of biplanes. Mister Sperry, good old Mister Sperry, uh, you know, chucked one in, and he he had <laughs> an autopilot. You know, uh, within not that many years of um, the first and flight. So they've been around for a long time. And, uh, you know, we they are an essential part of uh, civil aviation. Yes. So, uh, I, I mean, I, I, I see where you're going with this. I quite understand. But, um, uh, no, I'm afraid got to think a little bit uh, deeper. What we need to find a way to do is to improve manual uh, dexterity and flying skills um, in a way that is compatible with operating a successful civil uh, airline. Yeah. Uh, as a per regards older pilots on the flight, it used to amuse me enormously when I started getting grey hair um, because people naturally assume that you're a better pilot because you've been around longer. Yeah, exactly. No, well, you've you're just been... <laughs> You've just been around longer. <laughs> well, now, <laughs> so you know the old saying, which is kind of uh, sort of true, you know, like there are uh, old pilots and bold pli pilots, but not old, bold pilots. I don't know. That's not actually 100% accurate, I, I, I don't believe. But, uh, yeah. yeah, you know, uh, there is something to, uh, you know, having the gray hair and, and – uh, there is, but on the other hand, you're slower. Your your reaction time is down. You you're relying more on experience rather than yes. being 
freshly trained and uh, very knowledgeable because mm -hmm. the last time you, you know, delved into the books was probably a while ago unless mm -hmm. you're an extremely conscientious pilot like Jeff and uh, <laughs> Nick C. Um, so, um, you know, uh, I wouldn't necessarily trust an old pilot more than I would a young pilot because we all were young once and we mm -hmm. survived this long because we've been reasonable pilots, not better pilots. Yeah, and a lot of luck. Yeah. <laughs> yes, that's a lot as, of luck. As Sherman mentioned, what is it like? It's half yeah. of its luck, right? Yeah. yeah. So you, your heart's in the right place, Sam. Yeah. But you might need to rethink some of those ideas. Right. Yeah. And I think it's important to mention, you know, kind of along the lines of what Nick Anderson said, a lot of times in general aviation flying, um, the autopilot's kind of taking the place of your co-pilot because, you know, a lot of guys are flying around smaller airplanes, single engine airplanes, um, single pilot. And I have a lot of friends who will not, I have, you know, had conversations with multiple friends who have said, you know, like I'll fly, um, IFR, uh, and GA airplanes, but I'll do it with a co-pilot or I'll do it with an autopilot, but I won't do it without either of them, mm -hmm. you know, and it's because of, you know, the, the, it's like the standard operating scenarios, um, they can manage, but once, once you start like stacking things on top of each other, um, it's nice to be able to push that button and, and have the airplane just fly straight and level for 30 seconds. Like if you shoot a missed, if you have a missed approach and you got to write down something new from the controller, it's nice for the airplane to fly itself just to give you time to kind of recalibrate what you're doing. And I think that kind of goes back to, you just have to, if you're going to, whatever you're going to be flying, you just have to be good at using all the tools you have. And if you have an autopilot, you should be proficient in how to use it and be able to, you know, expect to be able to use it to its maximum capability, but you should also be able to operate the airplane in its full regimes without the autopilot. And just having both of those skills is important. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, knowing when to plug it in and when to hand fly it is a very important skill in itself. So yeah, it is. I agree entirely, Nick. Neil Lamworm says in our uh, audience, uh, Rick doesn't delve into the books. He is the books. Yeah, Miami Rick is. Yeah. Yeah, he's very knowledgeable about a lot of things. Yeah, he's, he's a hardcover as well. He's not a paperback. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. Um. Well, Sam, the same guy that uh, just talked about that autopilot thing, uh, says, Hello, please tell me if I'm wrong regarding my conflicted feelings about the two accidents, Sioux City versus the Hudson River. I strongly feel that Captain Haynes, Sioux City, uh, and the entire crew were heroes that will go down in history. I cannot imagine the sequence of events that had to take place to get that plane down as well as they did. And again, that's the DC-10 that had the uh, number two engine failure, and it basically took out all of the hydraulics of the aircraft, and they had no control, um, of the normal controls of the aircraft, ailerons, uh, elevators, you know, the, the stuff that most airplanes need to have to fly, yes. <laughs> you have to control them. Absolutely. Um, yeah, so let's see. Uh, in my opinion, this is where experience pays off. Uh -huh. Nobody can tell me that they got lucky to have saved half the people under those circumstances. Yes, sadly, about half the people perished in the crash landing of this DC-10 in Sioux City. Uh, but uh, definitely 
skill had a lot to do with it and experience. On the other hand, I cannot understand why the landing of a plane in the Hudson was such a miracle. <laughs> Wasn't that a textbook landing? Right? I always say, hey, look, they, they give Sully all these accolades, and I'm thinking, I land the airplane on like a concrete runway like every time I go out there on a trip many, many yeah, times. Yeah, that's a lot and, harder than water. I know. I mean, nobody ever yeah. gives me uh, you know, like accolades and makes a movie. He didn't even have to remember to put the gear down. <laughs> <laughs> I'm being facetious, of course. I understand I'm not trying to discount the crew at all. They did what they were trained to do and did it well. I just feel that the incident was so overrated, if you will, regarding the pilot skills for the situation they were placed in. Heck, a movie was even made. Was it because it was New York? Ha ha. Well, <laughs> maybe. I did find out as much as I could regarding the accidents before making my conclusions. I'm very open-minded, would like to know if I'm missing anything. Aviation interests me so much, and I eager... I am eager to learn as much as I can. I am learning much from all of you. Thank you so much. And this is Sam again. Um, so, you know, that's that's an interesting viewpoint. Uh, um, I, I don't know if you can really directly compare the two or say one was, you know, more difficult situation than the other. I think they were both very difficult situations. I think that uh, Sioux City, if if I had to choose <laughs> either of those two situations, I would definitely choose the uh, flame out for the birds and landing in the Hudson River than the Sioux City, Iowa um, thing. Uh, May Man Micah in our audience says, I don't think it was the actual landing that was a miracle. It wasn't particularly remarkable. Uh, what was more uh, interesting was the decision making. And basically the decision making uh, in such short uh, such a short time frame uh, when you have no power or very little power uh, and have to make the decision of where to put the airplane. Uh, that's you just have to go with where what you think is the best thing to do, and then you just have to commit to it. You can't. <laughs> and he did. Uh, Sully and um, uh, the first officer, who, Jeff Skiles, uh, made the decision to land in the Hudson River. You know, was it? Uh, was it exactly the right decision? Well, everybody lived. So uh, you could argue, yes, that was the right decision. Could they have made it back to an airplane or I mean, an airport, uh, you know, not in the river? Maybe. Uh, but, you know, a lot of a analysis ha has gone on regarding that. But it's, you know, it's easy to do things. And uh, once you know all the information and you have hindsight, but at the time, you know, you just have to do what you feel. And, and that's when experience really comes into play uh, what you feel like is the the thing that you have to do in that situation uh, I don't know what what do you all think well I'm not a I don't believe that you should really compare accidents because they're complete different scenarios and situations uh, yes they made a movie about the miracle in the Hudson because they thought it would sell um, not because they thought it was a remarkable accident that deserved a place in history. Uh, and, of course, um, there has been a lot of publicity about it, but back in the day when Captain Og crashed his uh, aircraft halfway between uh, San Francisco and Honolulu and everybody survived, um, that was the equivalent in that era of, uh, it was a, a Strata cruiser, I think, wasn't it? Um, I think so. Trying to but what about that. all those animals in the uh, cargo? 
Ah, uh, yeah. Well, he killed all the budgerigars or whatever yeah. the <laughs> the pets <laughs> in the cargo hold, but uh, they didn't have life jackets. Uh, ah. So uh, Catherine Ogg was on the front page of uh, you know Life magazine, and uh, he was fated as a incredible hero for saving everyone on board. Um, so you know there've been other occasions, and um, you know there there was a similar sort of situation with a Japanese. 747, where they lost all their hydraulics. They flew around for like 45 minutes with this aircraft cavorting around the sky. They were unable to keep control of it, and they crashed, and very sadly, everyone died. One of the largest uh, uh, losses in uh, Japanese aviation history. Um, now, uh, Captain Ames and his crew did a fantastic job, but there was a, an A300 crew who were hit by uh, a missile, and um, they had a very similar situation with absolutely no hydraulics, uh, uh, only two engines to uh, to use to control the aeroplane, and they had a wing on fire. And they got the aeroplane back in such good shape that they fixed it and tried to sell it afterwards because uh, it was airworthy again so you know you could say well in comparison that was a very similar accident that crew did a better job so i don't like the idea of comparing these accidents no one wants to be in these appalling situations and i think you've just got to admire the crews for what they did at the time in their situation they were uh, all remarkably good uh, crews they did their best some cases it worked, some cases it didn't, or to a different degree. So don't worry about whether you think one deserves a higher place in history than another. Just um, learn about the intricacies of the accident, take away what you can from it, put stow it away as we as pilots do in our heads thinking, well, if I'm in a similar situation, I now know someone and I know what they did to get out of it. Perhaps I can use that in the future um, to, uh, you know, um, solve a problem I get. So that's the way I think of it. Well said. Oh, by the way, uh, you said they they did what they were trained to do. No one's ever trained to ditch an airplane. It's a bit expensive. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, not not real-time training, maybe yeah, a simulator. There's no ditching simulator. And even in the simulator – they don't let you actually hit the, at least nope. in my experience, they won't let you hit the water because I think that they're afraid that you're going to mess up the simulator. Well, when exactly you crash right. The water. Yeah, we, we've, we've done a ditching drill right down to the point where <laughs> we go, were. Oh, you know, I want to let yeah, to go and in then the water. They said, okay, well done. We'll yeah. take that as red no. now. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Neil Lanwarm in our uh, audience, uh, Lanwarn, I'm sorry, if you ditch, do you log it as a water landing? Oh yeah, and you yeah, get if you live through it, you can then fly <laughs> flying boats, no problem at all. <laughs> Have you uh, done any float plane uh, flying, Nate? Nope. No. Okay. I have not either. I think you should. I would like to. We've talked about putting floats on our champ, but Ooh. there's not Ooh. a uh, there's not a lot of options around where I'm at. So mm. we'd have to oh, go to Ar Arkansas as some good float <laughs> flying. Bit short on legs. You don't want to go to Arkansas. No. Okay. It's just that it seems to me that there, you know, you can go to a whole variety of different landing spots if you got floats on. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 
Must hey, be fantastic. Captain Nick, I know it's getting late for you uh, there in uh, London oh, town. I've got another half hour. Okay. Excellent. Uh, good to hear. Thank you. Um, let's uh, continue on. Texas Charlie, you know, he always sends us uh, a lot of feedback. Uh, he says, so are airmen smarter or just more secure in their manhood? I'm thinking, huh, what is he talking about? So uh, let's watch this little video clip uh, to see what he's talking about. Okay, so there shows an Army person and a Navy person, a Marine Corps person uh, going over this uh, gate, and then an Air Force guy just walks around. <laughs> the, here, let me play it again. Army? Jumps over it. Navy, she kind of does a, what do you call that? Limbo. Limbo, Limbo. yeah. Marine, he does the most strenuous physical. like a pommel horse. (laughs) Yeah. And then the Air Force guy just uh, looks everybody and puts his hands in his pocket and walks around the outside of it. I think that's pretty smart, actually. (laughs) Yeah. Oh. um, Sorry. My bad. Oh, okay. That wasn't me. That was you? No. Okay. No, it's me. Is it me? No, it's, it's not me. It's you. No, it's not you, it's me. What is this yeah, one? Yeah, I've heard that before. Um, <laughs> yeah, but we're not going to talk about it on the show. Um, let's uh, continue with, hang on, here it is. From, thank you, uh, Texas Charlie, for that. Uh, Duncan, uh, by the way, before we go on. Um, so in the uh, the U.S. anyway, I don't know what it's like over there in uh, the U.K. and other countries around the world, but there are certain reputations and uh, stereotypes that um, people have for the various um, armed services. services. <coughs> Excuse me. And um, the um, one that is uh, very prevalent in maybe partially true, uh, is that uh, the the military branch here in the U.S. that is m- more focused on like really nice officers clubs and or, well, I don't even think they have those anymore. Uh, golf courses, uh, painted curbs and, you know, like really, really nice uh, bases, facilities, that kind of thing are the, uh, the, the Air Force bases and uh, where we put our emphasis and priorities. And then you know, like some of the other services are more focused on like, you know, the, the mission itself and their bases are not like the same level as the uh, Air Force bases. And um, if you ask anybody in, uh, of my vintage and maybe even maybe newer uh, generations, uh, it, like when they go to uh, military installations on cross-country flights and that kind of thing, what they where they'd like to go and like all the navy guys marine guys they always say oh we'd always go to air force bases because you know the facilities were always so much nicer and and everything else so and we'd always go to their navy bases and that kind of thing and go oh man these people they have their priorities straight they put all their money in the operations and obviously they don't spend it on their facilities <laughs> but, uh, that's just kind of a, a stereotype, but which is kind of probably sort of true. I don't know if it's oh, still for is. sure. Yeah. I mean, I remember is it the same thing in the UK. Uh, well, not so much. I well, uh, yes, I think so, probably. But I mean, the example I was thinking of, I was out in Australia on exercise pitch black up in Darwin, and uh, we deployed our F-18s, and uh, we were put up downtown in a big hotel and lots of allowances and bars and all, et cetera. So when we finished 
flying, we uh, had somewhere to go and relax in air conditioned comfort and uh, eat and drink as much as we wanted. The Marine Corps had arrived as well. Uh, they had a, I don't know, a bunch of A6s or something. I'm trying to remember what now. Um, and they were given a pan, a concrete square, and the edge of Darwin, North Australia, very hot and uncomfortable, uh, and where they parked their airplanes. And they pitched a whole bunch of tents all the way around this square, and that's where they lived. No aircon. Oh, tents. Uh, you know, in a, <laughs> and it was a night exercise, pitch black. That's what it was called because we did nothing but night flying. Uh-huh. Uh, so they all the pilots had to try and sleep during the day with the airport in full activity, you know, with civil flights and with other aircraft around doing um, various, you know, flying in, flying out, engine runs, all that stuff. And then they had to get up as the sun set, having had a hot, sweaty day in an unconditioned tent all day trying to sleep and go fly all night. And I was going, you guys are nuts, <laughs> you know. It's not There's, civilized at all. No, come on. That's, that's <laughs> silly. But there you go. I couldn't understand that. Well, I, it's interesting that it's, I guess it's sort of true, I guess, across the uh, civilized world anyway. As far as military services. And you know what? It's okay. You can make fun of me uh, regarding that. I uh, enjoyed my time in the U.S. Air Force. Me too. Um, Duncan. Number seven. Seven. uh, Writes in and he says, hello all. I thought you might like to see the short clip of a very lucky PA-28 pilot landing at Kemble Airport, Gloucestershire. It's an airplane storage. Gloucestershire. 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 It's an uh, Worcestershire. It's an airplane storage facility as well as an active airfield. Hence the variety of aircraft visible in the video. Cheers for now, Duncan Jones. And then he writes, "Do." Uh, so here we go. Oh, I think he was saying "do" because he forgot to uh, include the link to the video, but. Uh, Anyway. I think the pilot was saying that as well. Oh, yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Yeah, when you see this, you'll see, you'll think, oh, no, no, it's probably the guy that's, well, here, let's watch this. It's uh, kind of amusing. So it's a kind of a security video. There he comes up, so he's, he's coming in, he's landing. No, he's, he's <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not really sure. Where this airplane is trying to land, it's, there's a bunch of air. So, are they like just taxing out, or are they parked? No, I think they're they're in storage. They're storage. storage, okay. So they're yeah. in storage. Uh, I guess maybe the pandemic storage. Yeah, uh, they're a bunch basically. Of A320s, by the looks of it. Yeah, tail to no, nose to tail, very close by on a on a taxiway, and uh, and then all of a sudden, out from out of nowhere, uh, between uh, two of these looks like Airbuses. Uh, as a PA-28 uh, that's attempting to make some sort of landing. There he comes up, so he's, he's coming in, he's landing. No, he's... he's <laughs> wow. Wow. I mean, he doesn't touch down until he's nearly between them. <laughs> and obviously the people watching this video are having a, having a laugh. Uh, I don't know really what's happening here. Uh, just see the video clip. Uh, what would you say uh, regarding this uh, cap, uh nick camacho 
Um, you're our GA pilot um, representative here. Uh, yes, what was this guy? This, uh, what was, is this a kind of a normal thing that <laughs> you guys do? Not, uh, I have not attempted <laughs> this maneuver that is shown here. Yeah, I, it must have been some kind of a um, an emergency situation for this. Uh, uh, we he's, not, he's not slow either, is he? No. Well, that's, I, so that's the thing that kind of caught my attention is he, he's going pretty fast. <laughs> um, and I would assume, you know, I'm not familiar with this airport. He comes up, so he's, he's coming, um, he's landing. But I would assume no, he's, he's that there's a fair <laughs> amount of open space, if not around the perimeter of the airport, at least like in the yeah, center of the airport. that thing like a needle right through has, the edge of the. Liz, Liz is saying he hit the tree. I mean, if you watch this video at the very end of it and look at the trees, because he disappears behind the trees, and then you see the tree kind of shake. I hope they are okay. Uh, let's see. Watch this. And... Oh, yeah. oh, yeah. He did hit the tree. <laughs> well, I I think he kind of used up all the open space. <laughs> yeah. He left that behind him. Yeah. Neil Landwarren knows what happened. Oh, but Neil says uh, the cafe is really nice there. He was just peckish. Oh, okay. That was sort of an emergency. Uh, a food um, Maybe emergency. Maybe he needed the bathroom. Yeah. <laughs> or a toilet emergency. Yeah, a toilet exactly. emergency. Yeah. Um I have no idea what's happening here, but um pretty pretty funny. <laughs> okay. Um let's continue. thank you. Um Duncan. Duncan for uh, sending that in. Um if you know any more about this particular incident, let us know. Yeah. Fill us in. Yeah. Uh Adam uh, number eight, uh, pocket rocket. Oh, I'm supposed to share a Chrome. Okay. Um, so let me do that. Let me get this thing set up for sharing so that when it comes to the appropriate time, I'll have it all ready. Chrome tab. And I'm looking for this. This is pretty cool. Um, okay. Back to stream here. Um, nope. Back to sorry for the plosive there. This is Adam Catling again. Adam Catling, high flyers, high high flyers, high flyers. Uh, not quite a pocket rocket, which we shall say no more on, but a pocket bomber. We've all heard of the noise generators that make synthetic white noise to aid sleep or concentration, which are always a bit meh. Well, a friend in the Moby Flight Discord community sent me this link to a B-17 and B-19. B-19? What's a B-19? A noise generator for drowning out background noise. Needless to say, I was doubtful at first, but I've got to say this is seriously impressive with a host of presets and fine-tuning also available. Fuel mix, comma, throttle, comma, comms, volume, etc., this sounds fantastic on decent headphones or speakers and is really quite relaxing. And then he gives us this link uh, to uh, and uh, this this um, uh, website, company, whatever um, I've known about for a while. In fact, I have the their app and I use it quite often to kind of have some white noise or whatever in the background. And I can put my headset in and it drowns out everything. And my favorite is, uh, well, might be the B-17 when, we're, when we listen to that uh, this uh, very shortly. But I usually choose the one that says fan, like a, like a regular oscillating fan. That just seems to be the perfect kind of background sound for me to kind of uh, just go to sleep. Um, anyway, 
Uh, he says, I'm not sure if it's particularly noteworthy, as no doubt you've all seen better and indeed have the real thing. Well, more modern aircraft like an Airbus anyway. But I thought there may be another av geek out there that may also like this for drowning out the bu- the bus, office, wife, kids too. <laughs> okay. Uh, blue side up and all the good stuff to you all. Okay. So what he's talking about, again, is uh, a website, mynoise.net. They also have apps that you can download to your phones. I have it on my iPhone. And I am going to now... Hit the share button, button, and uh, add it to the stream. And then I'm going to go back to the page and actually hit the play. I don't know. Can, can you guys hear that all right? Yeah. Okay, so it has several different um, audio tracks. Uh, obviously, the the sound of the propellers in the background... You can individually um, like block out certain things. Like, for instance, if I were using this as a an aid for sleeping, I would probably uh, the radio chatter. I'd probably eliminate because that might be something that might keep my brain kind of you know trying to listen to what's what's being said on the radio. And but let's see the rumble here. Um, you can you can adjust like here. Let's give it rum, more rumble. Ooh, that's a lot of rumble. Um, the prop noise. Oh, that sounds good. Oh, that's nice. And here's some more props. And so you can you can adjust the different. Ooh, a little bit higher frequency props. Lots of prop um, selections here on this. What do y'all think about this? Can you hear me? Have they all yeah, fallen asleep? Yeah, I can. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was just Nicely. getting, you know, early into that. <laughs> that nice. Isn't that nice? Yeah, absolutely. They have things like um, Tibetan, um, what do they call those, meditation prayer sounds? Prayer wheels. Like those, you know, prayer like, wheels. I don't know if it's called a prayer wheel or not. Sounds good. Um, anyway... And it's uh, it's free. Uh, now, if you get the app, you had to. I think you had to pay something for the app, um, but I gladly paid for it. But I don't have any cool airplane things like B seventeen prop sounds on my iPhone app. Maybe I need to figure out how to download that. Funny enough, I find an audio book does equally good. Or in fact, listening to our own podcast does. Oh yeah, that that <laughs> puts me right to sleep. <laughs> And I know yeah, it puts, puts a, a, a lot of people out there that use it to uh, to fall asleep. Um, yeah. But no, seriously, when I'm editing the show, sometimes I'll like, <laughs> and I'll go, oh, well, how how long have I been out? I need to go back 15, 20 minutes to uh, take over. Um, anyway. By the way, cool? I, the the B nineteen was a, a Douglas heavy bomber. Oh. Um, similar, I guess, to the. Uh, the fortress or the super fortress uh, it was in fact the largest um, bomber built for the USAF until 1946 but it never really got beyond the XB-19 so uh, oh. it, it wasn't built uh, on the mass 
a heavy bomber, did they say? Yeah, oh, yeah. Oh. Um, si- crew of 16. Launch wow. of machine guns. Uh, That's a big crew. I, have uh, you 63 ever heard of that? tons, 140,000 pounds gross weight. Wow. Um, so, yeah, it, but uh, it, it didn't go into full production. Hmm. I'd never heard of the B-19. Hmm. Interesting. I've heard of the B-17 and the B-29. B twenty four. All right. Uh, one one was put on display at Hill Aerospace Museum at Hill Air Force Base in Ogden, Utah. Okay, I've been to. And Hill. the other has been on display at the National Museum of the United States Air Force in Dayton, where I know you oh. have been. No, I've not been in, there. I've never been there. In the <laughs> <laughs> in the early years gallery. Well, apparently we missed that. Or if we did yeah, we go did. through the early years gallery, Nick, I think that maybe I wasn't paying attention. I'm not uh, sure it's in there. Oh, it right might have moved? Yeah. yeah, maybe. Because, I mean, I was just there a couple of months ago, and I definitely do not remember seeing it. Oh, interesting. But I, well, I was also rushing. But, uh, yeah. yeah, I don't remember seeing it. Hmm. Well, perhaps it's been moved on. All right. Uh, let's see. We have another uh, stop screen sharing. There we go. Share another video file. Um, Becky uh, sent this in to us. Becky Rausch. And uh, here we go. going to add it to this. So you're not going to be able to do that. Flighting of 350. Cancel VFR flight following. If you go out there, you're going to be in serious problems. I'm not, I'm not kidding here. They called and they said do not let anybody go near the warning area so if you want to cancel flight falling that's fine with me but i want you to know it ain't going to get you on course when you say near the warning area they don't own that airspace they just get to use it is that correct they're using it they told us don't let anyone go near there the military is operating out there i don't know how to make myself more clear to you if you go that way you're going to meet new friends and you're not going to want to meet them <laughs> really, I'll just check when I get on the ground. I'll, I'll, I'll avoid the airspace, but I'm going to check when I get on the ground because I understand that you can go through an MOA and they're just operating in there just like I would be, and there's no rule against it. Am I wrong? You know, honestly, I'm not going to tell you you're wrong, and I've been at work 11 minutes now, and you are the first aircraft I've been so you're not He's talked to. Uh, and that was the end of that little thing there. So, um I wouldn't say that they're arguing with each other, uh, but there may be just a difference of an, of opinion as to what is um, perhaps legal to do and maybe smart to do. What's but an MOU? That the, so okay, so there are a couple of different terms they're using here, which are not the same thing. The controller is ta- talking about a warning area, and I, I'm not sure where this happened. Uh, but if they're talking about a warning area, those are usually off the, the coastline of the United States. And those are not the same thing as a military operating area, a MOA. MOAs are usually the kind of area airspace that I used to use when I was an instructor pilot and a student in pilot training, where you could, if you were not in an instrument flight plan, if you were a VFR, you could fly right through the middle of a military operating area. I don't think it would be a very smart thing to do. And in fact, I was among many who used to go to small little airports uh, that were underlying our MOAs 
when I was at Columbus Air Force Base as an instructor pilot, and I'd go out there and explain to them what is happening in these military operating areas, and we're not clearing for traffic, I can tell you that. We're doing all kinds of you know aerobatics and formation flying and spins and unusual attitude recoveries and all kinds of things that don't really um, allow for a really good clearing for other airplanes out there like VFR airplanes that decide that they don't want to go around these operating areas and they want to go through them. So um, I've always tried to explain to people, don't do that because we're, we're going to, we're not going to see you and we could possibly hit you and then end everybody's life. And that's not a good thing. Uh, Warning areas though, that's a completely different thing. Those are like restricted areas. Those are uh, you, you can't, if you're, yeah, uh, Liz is asking about, is that like the same sort of area that they would have uh, a, a, in place for like a rocket launch and that kind of thing? Yes, uh, the same sort of uh, areas that uh, they don't want people flying around because it's, it would be dangerous for them to be flying around. Um, so I think that there's a – I'm confused a little bit about this conversation and what exactly the area is that they're talking about, but – if they're talking about a MOA, a military operating area, yes, the Learjet pilot, I think it's a Learjet pilot or a Citation pilot, uh, he's right. You can, if you're not in an instrument flight plan, um, you know, fly through them. Again, uh, highly not highly not recommended <laughs> by me and most people. Warning areas? No. That's kind of like you, you can't go unless you have permission to go in there. And as the controller said, uh, you're going to have, you know, friends that you don't want to see there. And it's not going to be a. Well, I haul boxes has a good comment there. I haul boxes as the things you have to do to meet new friends these days. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Um, Nick Camacho, um, do you have. Uh, so what's your. Have you heard that regarding military operating areas, MOAs? I, I would imagine that mm-hmm. Wichita probably has some MOAs in the vicinity yeah. that you have to. And, and if you're on a VFR flight plan, I think I'm correct. You can fly through them if you want to, but it's usually discouraged. Correct. Yeah. Um, and I. so what I'm not, the only thing I'm not sure, or the thing that came up when, in that conversation that that guy was having is um, – he wasn't even on an IFR flight plan. He was on flight following, which is right. VFR flying. Yeah. And so I would not have um I would have thought the controller would have had to and this is an uh I'm going to say it Jeff. This is an opposing basis thing. No, um, you're right. But I, I would have thought the controller bases, would have <laughs> I would have thought the controller would have had to say uh like not able terminating flight following or something. I don't think mm-hmm. the controller can say you can't go there. I, I agree uh, with you when you're on flight following. Um, yeah. so that, that was the part that interested me, but yeah, uh, MOA, MOAs, um, I agree with you, everything you said. And, uh, you can even, you know, MOAs are active or cold and you can call and find out, mm-hmm. you know, whether they're going to be cold or not. And if you're an, on an instrument flight plan, there are times that you can fly through them because they're not going to be active. And, right. um, yeah, I, I agree with everything you said. I yeah. just, uh, I don't, I don't know, like, like you, I don't know where that happened. I don't know what that guy's flight path looked like. 
Um, I don't think that that's a hill I would have died on, especially when you're flying a really fast airplane. I can't imagine it added much time to his right. flight. Um, I just, I don't think that's a hill I would have died on for either in either one of those positions. <laughs> yeah, I think the hard thing about it is for me is the fact that they're using terminology that's not the same standardized. Yeah. I, agree. I mean, both of them are, you know, warning areas are a thing and MOAs are a thing, but one's talking about one and one's talking about another and they go, well, what is it? What are we talking about here? And that, so we can't really, we can't get really any further on this because we don't really know exactly what the truth is on, you know, what, no clarity, no clarity. Thank you, Liz. Um, Nick, uh, captain Nick, anything to add or subtract to that? Uh, no, I think you need a yeehaw in there though. Oh, okay. <laughs> Yeah, just go yeah. for it. Now, just turn the radio off and go. go in there. Yeah. <laughs> now, uh, these are these are terms and airspaces that, yeah. that I'm not familiar with. Right. Yeah, it's clearly a, a U.S. thing. Yep. Right. So. All right. Uh, all right. Thank you, Liz. Uh, she's telling us we have about 20 minutes or so. Um, do you want left. to do Jeff's video, uh, Josh's video? Yeah, I do want to do Josh's video. Thank you, Liz. Josh in Tulsa, whom I am going to hopefully uh, see in uh, number 11 in um, a couple of weeks. Let's see, it's the 7th, 19th, uh, just under two weeks. I'm going to have a layover there, and I'm going to meet up with uh, Sean and his wife and uh, Larry and uh, Josh, this guy that sent us this. Uh, yeah, I have another date with Larry. Thanks, Liz. I told you to keep that uh, kind of you know, quiet. Thank you. Um, so um, Josh and Tulsa writes in, Jeff, hi there. Hope all is well. I'm making good on an old promise to you from the last time we had lunch together in Tulsa. I mentioned an aviation-themed office project that I was working on and promised some pictures. Since I put it off for so long, I decided to do a video tour. Hope you enjoy. Let me know if you want to stop by on a Tulsa layover. Thanks, as always, and safe travels. Josh in Tulsa. I don't know the exact term uh, to use as far as what Josh does for a living, but it has something to do with high-end um, broadcast of sports broadcasts and uh, I think replay video and I think he mostly does um, like professional golf tournaments but he does more than just that but uh, I think that's kind of his specialty and when they are constantly going back to this hole and that hole you know when you're covering something and then they they play the replay and he has something to do with that. And I'm sorry, Josh, if I'm wrong about exactly what you do, but it's something to do with broadcast video. And uh, you'll see in this video that he uh, made for us, uh, looking at his new uh, aviation themed office, you'll see uh, some of his uh, very sophisticated professional equipment uh, in the studio here. So without further ado, let's take a look at Josh's aviation-themed office. Hi, APG community. This is Josh from Tulsa. Uh, Captain Jeff, the last time you were here, we had lunch. I had mentioned an uh, airplane-themed office project that I was working on. At that time, I promised you some pictures. Well, I've put it off and put it off so much that I thought I'd just do a video feedback. So why don't you come on in and take a look around? Mm -hmm. 
The whole idea started with this map. This is a beautiful map I ordered online well before Russia's invasion of Ukraine. I bring that up because it's shipped directly from Kyiv. It's a Ukrainian company and they do great work. Check them out if you'd like to get your own. They have all different colors and sizes. The first actual aircraft component was this stage one compressor fan assembly of the JT-80 engine. I ordered it at the beginning to work on this table and this is the piece that ended up taking me the longest to construct. Getting all these blades to this level of shine was no small task, but I think it turned out. The posters throughout the room are all old airline destination advertisements. I selected from many different airlines through many different regions, many different color schemes to try and get something that looks nice. This pair of seats is from the first class section of a retired Delta MD-88. Long live the mad dog. They come in pairs, so it was no small task to separate them and make two individual seats, but I enjoyed the challenge. Everything still works, the tray tables and the recline function, and there's a great little storage bin beneath. This seat is from Delta One on a Boeing 747, the queen of the skies. What a great seat to ride in around the world and a great airplane. When I originally purchased this seat, I thought I was just buying the seat itself. When a semi-truck pulled up to the house, I thought I had gone a little bit too far, as did my wife. I had actually ordered the entire Delta One suite. The other half, which contains a closet as well as the footwell and footrest, is out in the garage because I simply could not find a way to get it into this office comfortably. The drink carts are actually from a retired Royal Jordanian L1011 TriStar. I repainted and customized them to suit my needs as a trash cart as well as a server rack. The overhead bin is also from a retired Delta MD-88. Works perfectly for what I'm looking for, which was some nice dimmable lighting for the work that I do, as well as some storage. Works great still for overhead storage. So far, it hasn't come crashing down on me. This window cutout is actually from a Delta 747 as well, cut right out of the fuselage side. The picture that you see inserted behind the windows is off of an approach to Hong Kong at sunset. The desktop is also very personalized. It's made up of boarding passes from all my years of mostly international travel, as well as old passports and other travel mementos. It took a lot of work to put together, and while there were some mishaps along the way, it really came out nicely. Every time I look at it, it makes me think of trips that I've taken and different moments in life. Thanks a lot for watching. Hope you enjoyed the tour. Wow. <laughs> oh, that is so cool. Yeah, that is stunning. Isn't that not amazing? That's incredible. Absolutely. Yeah, I can't wait to uh, go and see that in person. Did you, uh, So you saw all those screens that he had and the... Um, and all the, uh, the video equipment uh, on mm -hmm. that desk, but well, uh, I kind of did, but I yeah. was just looking at all the aviation stuff. Oh, I know the aviation stuff was professional awesome. work stuff. I, I wonder if those seats recline and do all the electric. I don't business. know. I don't know, but they certainly look lovely. I mean, uh, the, the stitching on those seats and the condition of them is really quite remarkable. If they were getting rid of them, uh, they, you know, they, he found some that were in really good shape. Yeah, he did. Yeah, as Liz was saying, I'd, I'd love to see the look on his wife's 
face when the <laughs> semi truck pulled up. <laughs> yeah. What? Yeah, what? That probably is... wouldn't have been a, an inexpensive purchase. I got you a present, honey. Yeah. <laughs> oh, pretty amazing, huh? Absolutely. And I love the overhead bins and the lighting is uh, arranged around those. Yeah. It's, it's great. I didn't quite catch uh, the, the, um, the light outside his office, the red light. What did that Oh, here we go. On it. Hi, APG community. Uh, okay, hang this on. is Josh. Uh, okay, Josh. Uh, let me advance it, and uh, you'll you'll appreciate this. Here we go. Oh, shoot. I, I mean, that is a super it. map, apart from anything. Uh, yeah, I love the uh, website, uh, Enjoy the Wood. That's that yes. was a website where you got the yeah. uh, map. Um, well, heck, I'm trying to find. Is it right here? Before the map, oh, here we go. Uh, there, there it is. There, there. on air. Yeah. Ah, okay. So that's not aviation. That's no. something else. No, it's just uh, that's more broadcasting. I thought it might be a, a toilet engaged sign or something. And I'm thinking. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah, I mean, my two of my loves, uh, like all broadcasting equipment toilets? And, uh, oh. and, and toilets. <laughs> Thank you. And uh, and, air, and aviation wood. <laughs> and wood. Thanks, Liz. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I told you I don't share everything on the show. Um, I th- that map though is pretty cool. Um, Very good. Yeah. Yes. Uh, everything was, uh, and the thing I really appreciated was that uh, what was the coffee table, I guess, or the um, yeah, the JT8D um, c- first uh, compressor um, section, um, because I'd say of my more than twenty thousand hours of logged flight time in airliners, I'd say probably more than fifteen thousand of it uh, are in um, airplanes that. Uh, had that for the power plant. Well, wow, excellent. Yeah. Well, the fact that he managed to get it spinning, I think, is yeah. also brilliant. And how uh, shiny that thing was. He, as he said, it wasn't yeah. easy. <laughs> no. A lot of hours, uh, probably, of labor getting that thing all polished up like that. Yeah. I'd never seen I'm one like, that polished. <laughs> that's <no>. for sure. <laughs> and uh, I love the uh, Pan Am stickers he had. Yeah. Uh, the paintwork, you know, harking back to the old days. That was good. Ten minutes left, Jeff. So maybe one more okay. item. And um, so. sure. Uh, let's you see. Do you want to do Stefan's audio? Stephen's yeah, let's audio. do Stefan's audio. Let's see what 14. number fourteen. Okay, fourteen. Yeah. Here we go. Um, yeah, here we go. This is from uh, Stefan. Hi, ABG team. Hi, Jeff. This is Stefan, the former, now retired A two eighty captain from Germany. I'd like to give you some feedback to latest episode i think it was five to three and the information about the reactivation of lufthansa's a380 and there was a big question about why it took so long why it takes uh, until 2023 that they're being used again well uh, they are really in deep storage that means that um, each aircraft needs about 5000 maintenance hours to get fit for flying again and they uh, cannot really do all the uh, those uh, work at the storage place so initially they put in i think like two or three thousand uh, um, uh, maintenance hours to get them just flying again back to uh, frankfurt 
uh, with gear down, gear down ferry, because after sitting along such a long time in the desert, they have to perform a gear swing, and you really don't like to do that in open space. And so that's why they uh, do minimum maintenance work to get it flying. There's not even the toilets are working. Nothing is working on this aircraft. So the pilots have to be creative when they're flying the two hours back uh, to Germany. And then they do the rest of the work. Some of them are even going straight into a D-check. And, uh, well, it's a lot of work to be done on this aircraft. That's why it takes so long. And also they are only... Um, just a few couple pilots left fully certified as trainer to requalify all the other um, crew, members, crew members who was later on and, uh, wanted to fly the, um, the airplanes. And uh, by the way, they are only initially going to reactivate, I think, not more than four. Actually, they're only going to use three aircraft next summer. So it's a slowly reactivation. And, and as you have mentioned before, there are only eight left anyhow. And um, well, that's it. Why it takes so long? It's just a lot of work. And you also have to requalify all the cabin crews. You have to requalify all the documentation, which has been, you know, in COVID times, just been sitting around for two years and nothing has been done with that. That's why it takes so long. To make a long story start, you have also have a, um, some stories about Tug failures, uh, pushback without a tug, uh, broken um, push rods and everything in the latest episodes. I don't know if you ever talked about the incidents in JFK with an A380 where the tug, uh, tow tug was uh, turned around 180 degrees and basically broke the neck of the nose wheel gear. It had to be changed, by the way, as well in New York. And there they had to perform a gear swing in open space, which is always a bit risky because the wind does uh, is not allowed or has to be less than, I think, 15 knots for the whole time when you put the aircraft on uh, uh, jacks. Well, any, it's a long story, so I make it now short. Thanks again for the great podcast. And Jeff, I'm awfully sorry that I missed you at Oshkosh. Bye-bye. I, too, am very sorry that I missed you at Oshkosh, uh, Stefan. Um, I left right before you arrived, or the same day, I think. And uh, uh, I'll have to do it again sometime, uh, some other place. Um, I just I am now realizing that uh, he included uh, this video. And I am while I'm speaking, I am downloading it so that I can play it. And uh, I think I have it uh, downloaded, so let me share this video with you all. And uh, here we go, if I can find out what the name of it is. Airbus A3 towing, uh, A380 towing accident. That's got to be it. Here we go. Okay, we're looking at some surveillance video, it looks like. A video of another video screen. And here's a Lufthansa A380. Uh-oh. <laughs> Yikes. Yeah, yes. Wow. How did that happen? Is this going too fast? Oh, yeah, I, well. absolutely. I mean, the inertia of uh, those hundreds of tons uh, with the... Uh, that's, a, that's no small tug either. No, it's not. But compared with that aircraft... Wow. wow. I mean, completely spun. We had one go just over 90 degrees, jackknife to 90 degrees. Wait, it's still and, moving. Uh, 
backing it up oh, now. Oh, God. What? Oh, okay. So it's still. I thought it broke. Oh, he's the, still trying to, to pull it. it. I think the toe is. Well, back I don't think that's. Well, I suppose he's halfway across a damn runway. <laughs> oh no! Where was this? That but, I mean, uh, why would JFK? you try and still tow it from the toe from the nose wheel when you've just twisted it through 180 degrees? I mean, the <sighs> thing's going to be completely knackered. Yeah. I'm sorry, I interrupted you, uh, Nick. I was just watching the video and no, going, no, it what? was, uh, it was bad enough for us just having exceeded because uh, the limit was 72 degrees, I think, mm-hmm. to turn the nose wheel and this uh, tug jackknifed and went to 90 degrees on uh, slippery, uh, icy conditions. Mm. And that was bad enough. But this, yeah. having turned the nose wheel completely backwards, uh, yeah, I'm not surprised they needed to... Uh, Wow. I uh, was set up to Minneapolis, I think, uh, back when I was a uh, MD-88 captain uh, to pick up a jet uh, and ferry it back to Atlanta uh, that the towing of the tug had exceeded the, and I forgot exactly what the maximum range was, but it was around 90, 87, 90 degrees, and you weren't allowed to go more than that because you would damage the uh, aircraft. And that's what happened. They went more than whatever that restriction was. And there were like big, like sheet metal buckled stuff inside the nose wheel and everything else. But I guess they figured out that uh, they could safely, I guess they swung it. They could, uh, we could fly the airplane and retract the landing gear and fly it back to Atlanta. Um, But they didn't want to use it and, uh, revenue service uh in, in that condition they had some repairs to be made but yeah it was a little little bent up and buckled here and there uh, well i was taxiing into dubai and saw a emirates a380 uh with its nose wheel twisted more than 90 degrees and mm. it had only just happened uh during um in a pushback and um Ooh. yeah uh didn't go that far <laughs> and uh, it was just a whole bunch of engineers uh, just scratching their heads, looking at this nose wheel that was cocked to such a ridiculous mm. angle. And uh, I, I often wondered uh, how badly damaged that one was. Yeah. Well, you know, these airplanes are pretty cheap in, in aviation. Oh, well, yeah, absolutely. It doesn't cost. cost very much. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. <laughs> God. Well, that's the problem, you see. You've, you've you know... I hate to say it, but uh, you've got someone there who's pulling this vast airplane, perhaps without a true appreciation of the mass of what he's tugging along. <laughs> right. Well, just like that incident that we saw at LaGuardia with the American, uh, what was it, a 737 uh-huh. that uh, crashed, the thing. crashed uh, right into... Got a Boeing on the head. Yeah, I got the Boeing. The Boeing on the head. Yes. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Our... Yes. Yes. Yeah, thank you, Liz. Anyway... Um, so thank you, Stefan, for, uh, uh, sending that in and explaining to us why it takes so long to get these things back into service. And that makes well, sense when you think about all that. That is a lot of man hours. Yeah. Golly. I mean, that's a hell of a financial commitment. Uh, so they must think it's worthwhile, but, uh. Yeah. Oh, look at that. Okay. So real time here, uh, Neil in our. In our um, live audience says, looks like the Enjoy the Wood website is still trading $169 for that map, but now it's discounted 50% right now. So head over to 
enjoythewood.com mm-hmm. slash well, I, Jeff. I don't know, that version <laughs> looked pretty big. And uh, Neil also says the oh. 300 by 175 is 698. Oh, so wow. I don't know which version. Uh, 100 centimeters. How was on that, that wall. 100 centimeters is about uh, three feet, about a little three more feet. than three feet. Okay. Hmm. Yeah, the the seven hundred dollar six ninety eight is uh, quite a lot. Yeah, the one that the one that um, Josh has has got to be the larger big one. 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 Yeah. Wow. But you know, if you got a fifty percent discount, then that's yeah. You know, might be in reach of some people's wallets. Yeah, and that and help the Ukrainian people too. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, very good. We're going to wrap this thing up right now. And, uh, wow, enjoyed the show. Lots of good stuff. Um, And we hope you enjoyed the show as well. And we're going to tell you about our website, AirlinePilotGuy.com. Lots of great stuff there. We're not going to go into all the different things there. Just know that you should go there and check it out. And uh, we are also on social media. And uh, Captain Nick, would you like to do that? or would? uh, Oh, uh, happily, yeah. On Facebook. Uh, you can find us at Airline Pilot Guy, all one word. Uh, we're on uh, Twitter, where we're at APG Crew. And of course, on the Instas as well, which is very similar, but uh, without the at, just APG Crew. Very good. And of course, we are also on that uh, quasi social media thing called Slack. And uh, Hillel's going to maybe tell us. Hey, Halal, can you tell us about Slack? Okay, but I'm dripping wet. Got it in just in time. All right. I beg your pardon? Oh, excuse me. That's what she said. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, let's uh, hear Halal tell us about this wonderful Slack thing. APG listeners, please join us on our Slack team. Slack is a communication, coordination, and sharing platform that works on your mobile, laptop, or browser. On Slack, we share news and ideas. We suggest episode and plain tales topics. We plan events and meetups. To get into the Slack team, please email me at slack at airlinepilotguy.com. That's S-L-A-C-K, Sierra Lima Alpha Charlie Kilo at airlinepilotguy.com. Or send me a tweet with your preferred email address to at Hillel, and I'll send you an invitation. That's Hillel, spelled Hotel India 11 Echo 1, and see you in Slack. Thanks a lot, Hillel. I need a towel. I got shampoo in my eyes. That, oh, sorry. All right, we'll get one to you as soon as, uh, as, soon as we can. But we have to uh, wrap up the show, and, of course, we have Just to say... Just throw a bucket of water in his face. <laughs> we also have to say a big thank you to our producer, Ray, director, thank Liz. Thank you, Liz. Oh, well done. Good job. Thank you, Liz, for all the work you do behind Thanks, the scenes and Good while show. we're recording the show, too. And uh, couldn't do it without you. And also uh, our live audience, thank you for showing up each and every week and uh, helping us out and uh, providing entertainment and uh, knowledge and information for us. So we do appreciate that. And uh, with that, I think it's time now to say uh, see you next week. Wishing you clear skies, unlimited visibility, and tailwinds. Take care and God bless. Bye, everybody. See you later. Bye, everyone. Good day.
I used to be such a good, good pilot Till I started APG I opened doors for little old ladies I helped them to their seats Airline, not a guy I fly Cause I'm always flying I just don't have the time But I can land this old plane I can land it just fine Airline 